0: This is The 20 with DJ Spider, presented by
1: BeatSource.
2: Welcome to The 20 Podcast, bringing you interviews with the best DJs, producers, and music industry professionals from around the globe. I'm your host, DJ Spider. DJ That's Spider! That's right. I am your host, DJ Spider, and you are the Beat Sorcerers. Thank you for rocking with me. You are with me on what very well might be the last podcast episode of 2020 i don't i don't know if i ever imagined saying that this year feels like it's been 10 years all wrapped up into one i don't know what the hell to say about this year it's been obviously one of the most insane years of all of our lives so many things have changed from the first podcast we did in january i really had no idea that it would end like this and we'd be doing the rest of them on zoom which is the least of our troubles i mean this year has been nuts so let us all come together and hope for a much better 2021 it may start off a little rough i know things are still going crazy but i'm feeling optimistic guys i'm feeling good there's going to be some good news around the corner, okay? Things are happening. And the fact that we have, through all of these horrible times and all of the horrible things that have happened this year, I'm so sorry to anyone that's gotten sick or lost their jobs or passed away. And so many tragic things have happened this year. Um, but at least we've been able to experience it together through this podcast and through all of the streaming platforms and different things and sharing the knowledge and there has been uh sort of a coming together of the dj community and the music world and sort of a slowdown. there's never been a time in my life and a lot of people's life when everything has stopped everything so you really got to take advantage of that in a way and use this time to figure out what's going on because before you know it we're gonna be back out there we're gonna be busy everyone's gonna have that same oh sorry bro i'm busy right now i can't do stuff i gotta go here i gotta do this so i can feel it even starting already so um you know just be thankful for what you have let's let's practice gratitude. And feel good about what we do have, because a lot of people have it worse than you, and that's something to remember. Um, But I am eternally grateful for you guys rocking with me on this podcast, listening to whatever crazy shit I gotta say, and all the guests we've had on here, and all the support from you guys. It really means a lot. We are growing this together. It's been a crazy learning experience, so much fun, and there is great things to come. I am thinking that the first guest of 2021 may be an absolute wonderful guest that you guys will really enjoy. So I don't want to say too much about it, but we got some great things planned. um, And also, you know who else has some great things planned? BeatSource. That is right. I learned a lot about it on this episode. So BeatSource is the new digital music service for open format DJs. Shout to BeatSource. They power this podcast. They make it happen. Um, You know, I am part of the BeatSource family and I'm proud of it. It is a great group of people, great company. We are pushing the DJ world into the future. As far as um, Beat Source Link Which is the ability To DJ off the cloud Um, I will be doing A stream This Wednesday Probably right when This comes out On Twitch With Serato On their Um Twitch page and I'll be using pretty much all BeatSource songs Um, right after I record this I'll be practicing and putting it together but uh, I've been going through all of their crates and it's unbelievable I was even playing some for some of the people at Serato and they're like wait they have that on BeatSource? I'm like yeah we got boogie, disco, funk you know old school, new school I got Motown stuff, I got Rockefeller classics cameron i mean the amount of crazy things i've been finding acapellas instrumentals there's so much stuff on there and there's so much stuff in the works for next year and even the next five years and 10 years that they have planned that's really unbelievable that i've heard about and that you will hear about on this podcast and i will tell you why um so before i get to that thank you guys for rocking with me the beat sorcerers um it's been a crazy year like i said Uh, Hit me up on my Instagram Keep in touch At DJ Spider Or on Twitch I've been streaming on there Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock As well as doing some pop-up shows Twitch.tv Slash DJ Spider I even have a New Year's Eve uh, New Year's Eve stream coming up It's not going to be on my Twitch But uh, I will tell you guys about it At some point on my Instagram Uh, I'm doing a pretty dope stream With a lot of really amazing people and some hip-hop trivia involved with the questions and stuff. Um, Contact me if you want to know more about it or just follow my social media. Um, So, now on to the guest, the final guest of 2020. I think this is a fitting guest i'm so excited that we got this person to be on the podcast um this is someone that represents what i say you know that we have djs music producers uh industry people all this from around the globe this person is someone who has lived all sides of this from dj from being a dj to music producer to the business world to the tech game he's done it all and he's doing it all and he's continuously progressing in it um Not only has he been a DJ for 30 years or more, he's been producing music as well. He owns iconic uh, nightclubs. He is also the original founding CEO of Beatport, the former CEO of Beats Music, which is now Apple Music, and he's currently the chief revenue officer of Beatsource, which I don't think that title necessarily does him justice or describes it because he comes up with and executes all types of amazing special projects. And helps to guide many things at the company Um, He's one of the most forward-thinking people we've had on this podcast And that I've had the pleasure of talking to He's helping to guide the DJ world into a new frontier Whether they're ready or not um the list of his accomplishments is very long we cover a ton of it in this episode it's a really long episode so i won't ramble on here too much but uh we also get into some real life stuff um we get into really deep things like finding out finding true happiness um i learned a lot of lessons on this you know and i'm really thankful for it um and we talk about the future of djing as we know it um We also learn a lot about the history and the first iteration of BeatSource, which many of you might not know about. There was a BeatSource version one a long time ago that didn't totally work out. Um, And now it is back. He's back in to make it happen with version two, which is what we're at now. We discuss the current state of things. We discuss the future of BeatSource and some things they've got planned that he's allowed to talk about some companies they've just acquired that are going to be game changing Um, and you know for as dark as it's been in this year in this industry there are really a lot of exciting things on the horizon so let's keep that positive attitude as much as we can uh, while being realistic and um, you know check out this episode I got so much out of this episode there are things in this episode that will stick with me for a really long time to come so uh, without further ado let us bring in our guest on the 20 podcast this week final episode of 2020 please welcome Jonas Temple Jonas Temple, thank you for being on the Twenty Podcast. So excited to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Thanks, man. I'm
1: doing good. Appreciate the invite. Of course,
2: of course. Well, I mean, I probably wouldn't be doing this show without you. In a way, uh, this was the brainchild, the Twenty Playlist, the Twenty Podcast. A lot of this came from
1: from your concept. I think so. Thank you. Yeah, you know it. It was supposed to be. It, let's just call it a what we, what would we call this it's evolving. I think the original idea of the twenty is still intact, but it was we'll bring it to life a little more in twenty twenty one yes, I think, but hey, by the way, by the way, just, just massive shout out to you uh, the the podcast is amazing, and oh, I'm okay. super impressed honest honestly man like we i when when we got the original idea. <clears throat> for the podcast was more of like uh, a music show um, right. where we would, where I was thinking like, Hey, let's introduce these people to these new tracks. It's no big deal. And let's, but I, I think uh, quite honestly, it's so much better the way you've taken this and the direction you've taken it. And it shows, I mean, people love this. And I think for what we're trying to do, you've become, you know, somewhat a voice of the brand. And you're bringing these people into our community in a very good way, and I'm super impressed. Honestly,
2: dude, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Thank you so much. Um, That's uh, that that's great. I I I really appreciate it. And you know, it's been an evolving thing for me too. That was how I envisioned it too. I'm like, okay, we're gonna go through the 20 playlist. um, But you know, uh, life gives you a lot of ups and downs, and. Uh, I think once we hit this quarantine thing and trying to do that over Zoom, it almost wasn't doing justice to the tracks to play them over Zoom for people. You yeah, know.
1: but I don't. I don't think it was natural for you either, because I remember it was like, am I on a radio show? Because I, w- you would right. like talk for a while, then you'd be like, let's listen to these three tracks, and it was awkward, right? Like, <laughs> there's no easy way to do that. <laughs> right. It was. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so I actually just. I always tell the team that like, it's one thing I, I learned working with the beats by Dre team was, we just always had this saying that momentum was more important than being right. Like just get going and things will evolve. They'll find their way through it. <clears throat> you don't have to nail it on your first attempt. Like, but you do need to go, you need to start. And so, yeah. uh, I think beat source has been all about that. You know, we had a vision. And it's evolving, you know, over the last 18 months and it gets better and better and better. I'm sure you've seen it just as much as I have. Um, totally. And so I'm really proud of, of all the work we're doing. Uh, and the stuff we have planned in 2021 is just mind blowing uh, for both brands. So, yeah.
2: Oh man, I can't wait to, you know, see it be put into action and to learn more about it and, um, I- you know, uh, and exactly like you said, like, I feel like progress is better than perfection. And that's something I've had to learn. That's something I've learned through this podcast because I remember starting it and thinking, okay, I've got to edit out every little breath and um, and this, and, and it's just been such a learning experience. And each guest teaches me a lot, you know, um, and I feel like there is room for that music show, but maybe that's something to be done on Twitch. I'm actually working on I- idea for that to be able to the music thing and go over the 20 but maybe in a more twitch live environment and, and sure. having guests in a less formal thing so i can still keep the interview thing um going.
1: well i think the interview things are really great because you know how listen i have a lot of friends that are djs obviously yeah. if you come in this yeah. world you end up with a lot of friends but i don't then there's people that i'm fans of and i don't really know them i may have met them at a gig or something, but I don't really know them. Yeah. And so when you interview them, uh, it kind of like you just interviewed Zach, you know, like I've met Zach 20 times. He's probably played in Denver for us, you know, 10 times. And I always have that 20 minutes with him where it's like, yo, what's up? (laughs) Yeah. But that's not getting to know someone, you know, that's just like, Oh, I recognize you and I know you, but like, we're not like really getting into it. And like, so I love that, and that's what that's what we're doing here, and that's what you evolved this to. And I think we can't go back; it has yeah. to stay like this. This is it. It works.
2: I, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, and the the response I get from everyone is great, and I just feel like it's a cool way to like like I do the podcast, but there's such a community involved in it now that people love to send in questions and be a part of it, and I try to you know reply back to everyone it's it's the dj world is such a community-based thing and all of the things that we're involved in and even the way i feel like you've built beatport and these amazing brands and that's something i wanted to to incorporate into the podcast that it's everyone's podcast in a way we're all growing it together and doing it so And, and you get to get to know these guests like you said i've known some of these people for 15 years but i've never had more than a 20 minute conversation with them in a loud club or at dinner taking shots or whatever you know something where yeah. you can't really talk or you're just like yeah it's so totally <laughs> surface and i actually get to know them and find out their real name even <laughs> or just yeah. where you know <laughs> things about their background i mean everyone has so such amazing stories that we can all learn from and that's something i've even learned through this year of the the quarantine and taking a step back is that everyone has these stories
1: that everybody else can learn from you know yeah i agree so Uh, so you know i think this year has brought out the best in a lot of people i really do as hard as it's been yeah the cream the cream has risen a little bit to the top in the sense that the people who have the grit to survive Um, and, and thrive and adapt. And, and I think it's been really challenging for, for all of us. Uh, you wake up with like the patterns that you were used to in your life are just non-existent. Uh, and it puts strains on your personal life, your social life, your family life, and you end up like reinventing yourself to some degree because you have to, it's out of necessity. And it's the same in the business culture, you know, like we can't be the company we were last year because we're not sitting together. So what did we, what did we have to learn? We had to learn how to like do this. I mean, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Before this this year, I don't know how many Zoom calls I'd ever been on. I never had. yeah, Yeah. I do like, you know, it's like a... I should just have these mounted in my head, I think.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know. Same with our kids. Like my kid is in his room over here doing school and he's like an expert, you know, and he's like, oh, we're having a holiday party. Hold on. I'm cutting out snowflakes. Okay. I'm doing this. I'm dancing. Here we go. And I'm like, how are you so, uh, you know, into this, but it just shows, I think you can learn a lot from children and I'm grateful to be a father during this because the adaptability of kids is amazing and seeing how when my kid was back in school for a little bit the kindergartners and some of the other kids they'd never been in school without a mask on so to them there was nothing to complain about because that was just their life they're like oh i got a mask on all day you know but then these adults are freaking out and and like you said they're they want their old life and they're trying to apply their old life to the new world where that's not going to work you know what i mean you got to adapt otherwise you're going to be stuck just complaining about everything that is not around anymore um so yeah it's we got to get used to it i definitely in the beginning was like how am i going to do a podcast on zoom and now it just feels second nature and the i obviously the pandemic is awful i feel so bad for anyone that's gotten very sick and lost people and all this stuff Mm -hmm. but the you know, some of the good parts about it is I'm able to talk to Z Trip, I'm able to talk to Jazzy Jeff or whoever's going to come on the podcast or has been on the podcast. That's wherever they are, you know, I'm talking to people in Australia, and then Nigeria, that, you know, all over the place, that wasn't happening before we were trying to schedule it when they come to LA. So there's there's a lot of things that that have come out of it. And I'm just learning as I go. And it's just a representation of life, I think. And Just being a DJ, you have to be able to adapt to the room instantaneously, music-wise, reading the room. And I think as an entrepreneur, hopefully we'll learn from you, building businesses and brands. I'm sure there's ups and downs that are similar like that.
1: You know, I always tell (coughs) young entrepreneurs... and uh you know I I I don't like to think of myself as a mentor it sounds weird to me but I'm always willing to talk to people and help them so I guess yeah. it's kind of mentorship but like um the reality is the the gift of being a DJ trains you on marketing more than anything else. Yes. Cuz the first time you clear the dance floor as a young DJ, it's just crickets. (laughs) You learn right then that what you're marketing isn't working.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And you have to decide like, okay, what am I going to do? And you learn, okay, I got to rebuild it. I got to do this. I got to do that. And that survivability in the moment actually is DJing is great training for being an entrepreneur in a weird kind of way. But, but it comes from the failures and the trials of for me being a dj and i have hilarious stories of failure you know like either gigs that were lame or technical failures things i had to solve on the fly i'm sure you've been through it a million of them your headphones break mid-set you're you know something some crazy person spills a drink and you're dealing with that like whatever yep. you know if you've been in a dj booth enough in your life you've learned how to adapt and get through those moments and it's no different in an entrepreneur you know I didn't know COVID was coming. We're launching all kinds of products and businesses. And the complexity of trying to do that with the COVID, you could kind of say in your heart, like, okay, well, let's just wait a couple months. It'll be over. It wasn't over. (laughs) It's still going. No. There's no end in sight. Even with the you know, vaccines on the way, you still have to get up every day and do the work. And you know, so the entrepreneurial angles i think i think correlate really well to being a dj in in a kind of non non non-obvious way but when you break it down it actually makes a lot of sense you know and it comes out of those moments of you know surviving in the moment really
2: yes exactly that's why djing is that real-time thing and that's why a lot of producers um are great djs you know or, or djs become great producers because you can test the tracks out see in real time what people are reacting to and it's the yeah. same type of thing you know and and i think in the business world it's harder because you're not staring at the crowd you know but nowadays with the internet i guess you can read comments but it depends how much to listen to it <laughs> or not or tune it that's out that's true yeah, yeah. um well, so so for people that um, aren't totally familiar, um, I mentioned earlier in the intro that you're the original founding CEO of Beatport, um, and you are the chief revenue officer of Beatsource. I'm not sure how accurately that describes you're a full. <laughs> title and job i know it's kind of a funny uh classification you can speak on that if you want Uh, sure
1: sure (laughs) i mean really they wanted me to have a title i my my original title was um special projects okay and i think it was a little abstract but to me that's what i really want to do like beat source when when rob said hey let's rebuild beat source let's do it right uh, to me, that's like a very like it's a special project, you know. Like, yeah. go go do it. And there was other projects that I work on inside the organization. And listen, I'm a product and brand person, so right. I want to build. I want to build things. I don't want to run them. I actually, have no interest in running them. I'm terrible at it. So, <laughs> it's, I'm the guy you want to build things, and then you want to bring in the next person to run them. So, like Rob and I are a good yin and yang because. Yeah. You know, I don't, what he does, I actually don't want to do at all. I've done right. it. I spent most of my career as a CEO, actually. Um, and, in all kinds of different roles, even at Beats by Dre. My title was the, not, not CEO of Beats by Dre, but CEO of what became Beats Music. And, wow. and, uh, but uh, I'm, I was comfortable in that, but it was more in a brand architecture and a product architecture role. Not so much in an operational role. Um, so I enjoy building things. That's my true passion. And it comes from just this curiosity of, well, how could we do that? Right. And that's the worst conversation you could have with me because I get sucked in. (laughs) Yeah. So if you came to me and said like, um, you know, that's how this whole beat port thing got started. It was a conversation. My friend came to me and said, Hey, I own this software called final scratch and it's awesome but there's no music and I have to record the vinyl yes, to play it. I lived so we that. were, <laughs> yeah. So we were buying records and recording them.
2: Yep. same. And, and,
1: and Eloy was, um, he's, he was so meticulous. And then he came to me one day and he's like, this sucks. Like, can't we just buy the music online? Yeah. And I mean, it, I, I can tell you right then, we just both looked at each other and we're like, well, I don't see why not. Like, I don't, nobody's doing that, but maybe we could, there was no iTunes store. There was no nothing.
0: Right. There
1: was, there was LimeWire and Napster. And I think Napster was legalizing around then. I don't totally remember to be honest, but LimeWire was everywhere. And, and so we just start. we just decided to start working on it. Crazy. Well, how And it's like, well, how would you do it? Well, I don't know. Let's just try. Yeah. And so, you know, 17 years later, here we are. You
2: know That's what? unbelievable. No, you guys were very far ahead of the curve. I mean, I remember when Beatport came out and um, yeah, it was just, th- there was no iTunes store. There was nothing for anyone to even relate it to at that point, you know, and same thing. I had gotten Final Scratch because I wanted to be able to, I was in a hip hop group and I wanted to be able to scratch the rapper rapping on the chorus, like how DJ premiere, And I would have to buy every acapella on vinyl. So I was like, oh, I can actually, because I remember I bought a CDJ because you could do it, but then being able to use Final Scratch was unbelievable. And same thing, I would record every 12 inch in all the way through. So I have these MP3s still in my computer that are clean, dirty, instrumental. And it's like a 18 minute <laughs> MP3. Cause, cause you had to drop the needle. There was no yeah. mode with, with, you know, I remember the first time I, when we got to Serato, the first time I saw someone using cue points, um, was DJ AM. And it was the first time I met him. And we were, I it was this corporate gig for bongo jeans in Las Vegas. And like, we brought in this guy. He's amazing. He DJs in Vegas. And, uh, He's like, he wants to use this thing called Serato. And I'm like, oh, I got it. That's what I'm using. And I also had four crates of records at the same time because I was scared of Serato crashing. And he comes in with just the computer, pops it on, has these cue points, and is just clicking them and going. And I'm like, holy shit, I didn't have to do this and, and, you know, (laughs) click the needle. So that changed my whole world as well. Um, and recording in the vinyl didn't sound as good. That's what I realized once buying things from Beatport and buying things from iTunes and stuff. I'm like, we
1: we didn't understand that either, actually, because mastering for vinyl and mastering for digital is two different skills. Exactly. And so the mastering on vinyl is really thin because it's amplified in an environment. And that distortion that's introduced to the vibrating needle has to be managed. You can't have all that low end in there. Right. And so when you hear these vinyl purists talk about, oh, it sounds warm. No, that's a fucking distortion. Sorry, I know I'm <laughs> supposed to keep it clean on the podcast, but it's, no, no, it's, you don't
2: have to keep it clean on here. We edited
1: on the video clips, but uh, it's, it's truly, it's truly distortion, and that's what yeah. warm. That's what warms it up. It's a little bit of saturation, and but otherwise, it's really thin. And that's right. why these new systems that are all digital signals coming from your laptop through a through a converter into a digital mixer and out to a sound system that's run by a computer. And I mean, the, the sound, the frequency range you can get out on tracks now is just crazy. Right. Yeah. You, we couldn't do that with the vinyl. I tell everybody, you can always tell a DJ who started Playing, their, started their career playing vinyl. By the way, they stand in the DJ booth because they really don't dance. They will kind of tap their feet. They'll move side to side, but none of this jumping up and down and all this other shit. Because they learned early on that they were skipping the record.
2: Yo, that's so true. I never really thought about that. The, I, I, I have the this old DJs thing will just like... go
1: like this. They'll be wiggling and they might <laughs> do hands, but they're not going to jump because they're just. It's just muscle memory i can't skip the record even though i'm on a laptop and nothing's gonna happen you're right
0: yeah
2: that's so funny that's probably where the like hatred started for like djs in vegas they're standing on the booth that's ridiculous (laughs) but in reality for them they're like what do you mean why wouldn't i i got a cdj i have a a you're gonna skip the record yeah and we're like you're crazy that's (laughs) insane and they're like this what are you talking about you know like so you're right."
1: That's hilarious. I bring Uh, a lot of unnecessary old school anxiety to the DJ booth for no reason.
2: (laughs) You know, it's true. Well, it's like when I go back to vinyl, I I have a heavier hand, you know, so I got so used to Serato. I'm like, let's go. I'm going to go crazy scratching. And then I now I'm back in my room. I'm pulling out the records. I'm like, damn, my needles suck. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait, maybe it's me because I don't have have that same like finesse
1: that you need to have with the lightweight hand. That's crazy. Yeah, Um, it's fun. I mean, the technology. <clears throat> and it's, you know, if you think of that curve, like prior to B port, so like somewhere in, let's just say the late 90s, software was starting to get more powerful. It's like, see, C- it, it actually was CPU processing on computers was getting powerful enough to do things. Right. Um, and so people could make a track on their computers. And prior to that, they really couldn't, they needed a studio and they needed outboard gear and they needed MIDI and all this stuff. The complexity was really hard yeah. and along comes, you know, lots of software, early predecessor software, um, you know, early Ableton releases, uh, early fruity loops, um, all the loop based software that was relatively easy to get started and you can kind of make a track pretty quick. Yeah. So production became more accessible. Um, and I always predicted inside of Bboard and I that I wanted us to be a well-balanced company of um, content for performance and content for creators. Because I felt like that was the healthy ecosystem that you needed. Because if you think about it, they feed off each other really well. Yeah. Um, and so with the announcement this week of, of the Loopmasters acquisition, we come back to that because that allows us to to give the yin and the yang the right positioning inside of our business. And, you know, we, we've been in the sample business for 10 plus years. We actually sold the business to loop masters. Um, I think last year or maybe 18 months ago, and we knew we weren't going to be out of it. We just did a marketing thing with them. And then when they, when the opportunity came to buy the business, we just couldn't resist. So, um, it took a, it took some major kind of moves to get it done, but that's Rob's gift. I mean, quite honestly, everybody has a superpower. I have a true belief that every single person has a superpower. Yeah. And, and so Rob's, one of Rob's superpowers is getting deals that are complex like this done. Like he just loves it. And, right. and so, but what it does for our customer base and our brands, Beatport and BeatSource is now we can bolt on this other side of it the creative side yes we can take we can take our favorite songs and reverse engineer them and say hey here's a sample pack of how that you know those drum lines were made and if you want the patch for that bass line here's the producer that make it and he does it in serum and here's the download and it's just it's going to be extraordinarily impactful to our organization to get to get that um I don't know, building off each other. And you know, if you think, you know, like in my, in my uh, Bill, bad boy, Bill, and I own a record label called Moody. Right. He founded it. and I I joined later, but all that original A&R that, that they did with Moody, one of the greatest track they signed is one of the greatest tracks in dance music, which is Paul Johnson's get, get down. Oh yeah. And so we own, we own that track. Right. And it's been remixed, I mean, we've probably remixed it 16 to 20 times. Yeah. Nothing is better than Paul's original, but it just it's the the point I'm making is a track like that can just live on forever. And when you put it in an environment where you can say, Well, here's the piece, now go build a new track around the get get down and here's the pianos and have some fun with it. It changes things. And to be honest, Spider, like the the way Beat Source was originally conceived was exactly that. And nobody really knows that story. So how we pitched it was um, I had met uh, the, I, I am the most non-name-dropping person on the planet. So let's just start here, okay?
2: <laughs> right. But that's, that's fine. This, I, I don't I, think I, you come off as braggy, <laughs> neither do I. But it's good background for people to know. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, I so. try
1: to keep it on the level and very real. And but I had been introduced to Jimmy Iovine and um, because we were Port, and he was building his headphones, he wanted our opinion if DJs would like it. Right. So, and that's the way Jimmy rolls. So he invited us to LA. It was Brad and I, what the other founder, there were three founders to beatport uh, myself, Eloy, who was, it's he, he had the original idea the question, Hey, why can't we just download this? Right. He doesn't get enough credit. So I always say his name because I want people to know. Yeah. Um, and then Brad, Brad was the promoter. So Brad knew everybody. Right. Um, and you need that. Like Eloy was the guy that was a perfectionist. I was the brand like creative and Brad was the person that knew everyone. That's why it worked. Yeah. Exactly. And, well, like you
2: keep <laughs> saying teamwork, you, you, it's good to have a team that you trust and that you believe in
1: each person's
2: superpower and what they're good at. I think.
1: Yeah. So obviously when we started, B-Port meant nothing other than like some kids in Denver were trying to do this. Yeah. But eventually it crossed over and it became a bigger deal and people started seeing it. And Jimmy Iovine saw it because his son, Jamie is the DJ and I think was talking about it. You should get to know these guys. So he invited us to LA. And so it's like getting a little bit of the mafia boss kind of calling you in. Yes. So we fly out to LA to go meet with Jimmy We get iced out in the lobby for an hour, standard LA treatment. And then, and then, you know, he invites us in that now we're in the door. Now I think we waited another 30 or 45 minutes to actually be in the office with him.
2: It's like going to the doctor or something. That's a lot like that.
1: (laughs) And it's, and, but anyway, so he brings in these headphones, you know, he's like, Oh, these are prototypes. Be super careful. What do you think? And I mean, they were really not very good. Yeah. And so we just had, we had a moment of like, Brad and I were just, Ice cold, like, what do we say? Like, right, do you tell the truth? Yeah, <laughs> or not? <laughs> and so we did. We said, Oh, you know, I'm not sure the sound is right. Like, you know, as a DJ, there's a certain power that you need in those headphones for sure. It can't be super subby, it actually needs to be a little higher and powerful. And he just wanted to know if DJs would use it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I think, I think some DJs will just for the vanity of being in the brand, yeah. but I don't know if real DJs would be comfortable with that sound quality for their profession. Right. And, and I think he super appreciated that answer that we were like pro enough to give him the real, and it built a really, quite honestly, it just built a, an opportunity to have a dialogue with him and we knew we were going there. And so I mean, how many times are you going to, if you're on the outside looking in, how many times are you going to get an audience with Jimmy? Right. So we flipped it. on him. We said, Hey, since we're here, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have an idea that we want to run past you. Amazing. Seize the day. Right. Yeah. And right. so what we pitched him on was that at that exact moment, the biggest video games on the planet were like guitar hero, rock band. And I think DJ hero was coming out. Yeah. And the way they were, building those games was they was taking classic tracks and separating them back into the stems, assigning those stems to, to MIDI notes, which mm-hmm. was a genius idea. Yeah. And then you were basically, it was like a little MPC controller. You were either on or off with that thing, but nobody really realized that the analog was actually just a drum machine that you were doing with a guitar. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, so it was the stem and then you got to play along with this thing. And we saw it right away. And so we told we said, "Hey Jimmy." And we pulled up SoundCloud cuz it was right when SoundCloud was starting to get some momentum and mm-hmm. we said, "Let me show you all the tracks in your library that every kid on the planet is remixing right now."
2: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> and so we went through like it didn't even matter. I mean, at that time it was Akon and all these, you know, all these other people and there was 5,000 illegal remixes of everything. Right. And we said, why don't we just sell them the stems? Exactly. And he was like, I don't know. (laughs) Why don't we? (laughs) (laughs) And so he called his attorneys and we had this thing. And it was like, I mean, you can imagine it was like a six month courtship. um, Right. And we agreed to do this business. And it was called BeatSource. But it, the the intent of the name was that it was a, a source, a place to go get beats. And we were so excited to have done this deal with Jimmy and Universal, and they were gonna be the first ones. They were gonna, I mean, honestly, it was ridiculous what they were gonna give us. Like Johnny Cash Dems. <laughs> like oh my how, God. I mean, honestly. It, and I still wanna do this, by the way, if we can ever get this done with BeatSource, it's because the, the business is still valid today. If you, as a creator, had access to that content, there's no telling what you could make. Well, and
2: we, exactly. DJs do it now. They, they use plugins, yeah. they use these Isotope RX 8 or whatever yeah. to extract the stems and trade it on the back end already. And there's been people that have somehow hacked in or leaked those stems from the video games, you know, because I know yeah. th- those are floating around out there too. And it's a yeah. DJ. Kind of gold mine that certain people have and can pass around so to to have it legal or be able to purchase the parts to it i mean definitely is so amazing. that was the idea yeah and
1: it built a relationship with him and ultimately lawyers got involved and ruined it and so we couldn't Always. get the, <laughs> we couldn't get the deal actually done i definitely could have used rob mcdaniel's help on that one um <laughs> yes. but But it was, you know, it built a relationship with Jimmy and that's why when I actually left Beeport, they invited me and I was, I think I was employee number eight at Beats by Dre.
2: Wow. That's amazing.
1: Um, And that was a crazy experience, you know, I mean, working with Jimmy and Dre and Luke Wood and Trent Reznor and you just, some of the greatest minds and entrepreneurs and creators on the planet. And it doesn't, it can't it just affects you in a way that is super hard to describe. Um, and I mean, you're just, it's hard not to be a fanboy too. Like I love telling the story. So I just want to share it because yes, please do. Especially for the audience here of like, you know, listen, I, I have, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in all transparency. I didn't really grow up on hip hop. Um, the way like our DJ community grew up on hip hop. It was around and I was, and I was into it, but I was early. I'm older than you guys, but it was like Beastie Boys and Run DMC. And that's the stuff I liked. And right. LL Cool J. Um, and Dre was a little later, but I was obviously aware of Dre. And, and you know, you just, you just wouldn't be human if you weren't aware of what was going on in the music scene. And yeah. so.
2: And depends where you grew up. Where, where did you grow up? Denver. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think Dre also was a very West Coast, like I remember also being very into Beastie Boys, Run DMC and all that, but when The Chronic came out, you know, and then all the yeah. other West Coast stuff, it was like ingrained. Be- I grew up here in LA, so it was just like the yeah. radio, you know, we-, we got the cassette tape, and you'd be like, every day of high school, like we are listening to The Chronic nonstop. <laughs> it's like, um, so yeah, it's different out here.
1: So in the... Uh- my, my favorite like Dre stories, cause everybody wants to hear Dre stories, um, yes. is we were in Vegas. Um, and, and it's, it's perfect for this cause it's a AM story as well. So we had been at a dinner, um, and the dinner was to look at the next line of headphones and cause of the 1.0s were basically done. Now the next ones were coming and the pros were coming. Right. And once the dinner was done, we were going to the club and this was when, um, oh man, I'm going to forget LAX was still open. Right. And, and so we leave this restaurant that by the way, they bought out. So it's a massive Vegas restaurant and there's like nine people in there. That's a very (laughs) Jimmy thing to do. Yeah. Sounds about right. And, um, there's like a fleet of escalades there waiting for us. And I just ended up in an Escalade with Dre, just me and him. That's amazing. And so we were at one end of the strip going to the other, which doesn't seem like a long distance, but it oh, was, that could it take was, a really long time. <laughs> yeah, it was like a 30 minute drive. And so yeah. it's so quiet and it's awkward. And <laughs> I'm just sitting there like kind of slightly terrified. Have you ever been next to him? First of all, he's a huge human. Um, no, I have not actually. He's like at this time he was really into weightlifting and he was just massive, super ripped. And so we're in this car. It's super quiet. And I think he noticed that I was like, I was doing this thing where he's here and I'm just kind of looking out the window trying not to bother him and his face. And I was looking at this billboard and I don't know why I did it, but it was a billboard of that magician, Chris Angel. And I've always thought he's a little weird. And I just, I don't know why I felt confident enough to look at it, but I just looked Dre right in the eyes and I go, I just don't get this guy. I don't get it. And he (laughs) looked at me and he's like, yeah, I don't either. And I was like, we bonded. (laughs) We're talking Chris about Chris Angel. Yes. <laughs> oh and my so, God. And so we got to the club and it was chaos. These cops were there escorting us in. And I mean, come on. I mean, I, again, I'm not, I, I've had a very successful DJ career. I'm super proud of it, but I was certainly never in a position where I was escorted in with police and a whole thing. And we had like all these Israeli special forces, bodyguards with us. Oh my I mean, God. It's like, you can't help but feel kind of like, I yeah, don't know, the president fancy. of the world. <laughs> yeah, you're like you're like rolling with the with the mob right. somehow. That's so we go crazy. into LAX, we get all set up at this thing, and and AM is DJing with Travis Barker.
0: Yes.
2: And and uh, they had that crazy setup there where like
1: you were probably those tables. Yeah, yeah. There was a drum kit, and then like some space, and then AM. Yeah and Travis and they were facing each other so they could like look and get signals on each other. Right. I would, I'd never seen AM. Um, I'd obviously heard of him, but I'd never seen it. And then having this whole like Travis Barker battle and like this whole thing. And I was like, my life transformed. Like, (laughs) You can't, you can't have that night and everything doesn't change. You've seen, you see the world differently. I don't know how to describe it. but like I mean, thank God I actually
2: lived a very similar thing too of, of seeing AM in Vegas and my entire life changing as well. So I can yeah. relate. But for people listening that can't, I mean, yes, it's literally a life-changing experience from a DJ and a musician point of view. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, because you're like, I'm a pretty good DJ. And then yeah. you go in there and here's this guy just freestyling like a madman with a live drummer and it's
2: awesome and and it's travis barker live
1: drummer from blink 182 it's the most intense
2: amazing he can play to anything you know and they would go every tempo acapella loops the scratches battling off you know the drum fills just unbelievable
1: i felt like there was you know you you I will have these memories of certain chapters of these things. And that's one of them that will never go away is how important I knew that night was. I just yeah. knew, I had no idea he was going to pass away. And I think it was shortly after that. I had no idea. And I, cause I didn't know him and I didn't know any of the backstory. And I really, I I've obviously heard after the fact all about it. I had So many mutual friends with, with him as DJing and especially in the LA community, cause I have tons of DJ friends in, uh, like, that grew up in, yeah. in and around that. And but I just didn't know. Him. And so, but I felt so honored to have experienced this in the way that I did, because it was a super special night and, it, and I owe it to Jimmy and Dre for, because of who they are, they put me in this position to, to see this performance at its best,
0: yeah. you know?
1: And I, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, I'll never, I'll never not be, um, uh, my whole experience working with Be- Beats by Dre was just such a pleasure, and it set me up for, you know, returning to Beatport in a way that I've been able to. Because I just, it's like going to Top Gun. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, <laughs> right? <laughs> Speed a fighter pilot, then you go to Top Gun, and you come back, and you're like, oh wow, you're better. <laughs> right?
2: Exactly. You're like, I went through the craziest stuff, Maverick and Goose. I mean, yeah, it's it, you. It's only you can these experiences teach you just these priceless things that you'll take with you forever. And that, you know, each step of the way, um, you can then, you know, apply to your next chapter, I
1: guess, right? Yeah, you can. And I just feel, you know, like my my role at Beats by Dre in the grand scheme of things was microscopic. My contribution to what became Apple Music It was there, but it's, I'm not, I'm not famous for any of this. I'm not known for it. I did a lot of good for that company and that brand, but it was all behind the scenes and nobody would know about it unless I told them we were sworn to secrecy. And actually all the people that I ever hired to work at that business, I couldn't even imagine this, I was hiring them for a job, but I couldn't tell them what the company was until after they accepted the job. That's
2: nuts. They must have really trusted you.
1: (laughs) No, I, most of them never knew me. I just had to like create the, like, this is a, this is a consumer electronic brand. It is, we're doing these things. This is what you would do here. I can't tell you the company. You It's know, crazy.
2: And, they're so and, good at keeping things under wraps. I mean, I have friends that have worked there too and they'll be my good friends and they're like, yeah, I'm working on this project. Uh, I can tell you in nine months or 12 months or two yeah. years. I was
1: like, okay. And then a couple of years later, he's like, this was what we were working on. I'm like, "Yeah."
0: I
2: had no idea. How do you keep it that secret? Yeah.
1: So I talk about the Beast by Dre stuff, not so much as a, like a uh, puff my or pat my chest or anything. It's more of that it shaped me. Yeah. And it really and it really helped me honestly to come back to Bport, which was totally unexpected. Um, because I never intended to come back, but I always wanted to.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and the way it the way it worked was for the best. And it was really because of Rob. You know, Rob, <clears throat> he called me and said, Hey, I knew Rob pretty well. Um okay. when he was building Ingrews, we were building B Port. You know, there was a natural synergy and Rob yeah. and I became friends and, you know, Rob now versus Rob then is a little different. Rob was a super party animal. Um, uh, <laughs> he might've talked about it a little with you, but he was wild, like wild 24, seven party. Maybe see that. <laughs> yeah. He's got it at him. Trust me. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And he's bigger than life. And it was super fun to be around, you know, like, you know, uh, and so I always loved h- hanging and partying with with Rob even though I don't drink or anything it's just like that energy to be around is just fun. Right. And so um I kept in touch with him and he was working on a new project in LA I can't even remember the name of it um but it was his artist management thing and he was building a t- digital platform and I was kind of just giving him advice and just like he gives me advice on things. And then he called me one day and said, Hey, I think I'm going to be named the CEO of B port tomorrow. <laughs> I wow. was like, Whoa, really? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, so I might need your help, but it's not going to be right away. Give me a year and I'll call you. And sure enough, you know, I wasn't probably exactly a year, but you know, some, some months down the road, he called me and said, Hey, I really want to do, beat source again can you tell us what went right what went wrong what you would do differently do you want to work on this can you help um and i mean the the beat source 1.0 just never had a chance it always lived in the shadow of B-Port. it didn't quite go well with jimmy and dre like we wanted it to in the beginning right um what were the main
2: oh sorry well what were the main issues that that held it back
1: I think there was just a cultural mismatch. We had a great team, an amazing team, but it it was a tiny little thing next to Beatport's rocket ship, and it Mm -hmm. just didn't get the resources. Right. And the way we did this now with the partnership with, with DJ City just made more sense because nobody understood how to curate for the open format DJ. We were using dance music mentality and kind of just transferring it to, um, you know, these environments promoting new releases, but we did, we weren't really from that world. We brought in some DJs that were, um, a couple of great Denver DJs, uh, that you might've met over the years, Jones and Mantis. I mean, they're like super, like Jones was, he's still a good friend. So is Mantis, but they are, you know, they can only do so much to make that run without like real help. And so, right. one of the things that I told Rob is I just said, don't do it unless you're 100% committed because yeah. this is a different animal. And yet, the things that work for Beatport aren't going to work over here. It's a different customer. Yeah, totally different. And, and so, even 18 months into it, we're still learning and we're mm-hmm. learning our craft and we get better every week and our business grows every week and our community grows. And you know, it's a response. It's the feedback loop. It's the DJ, you know, like I'm putting energy out, it's coming back. Is it working? We adjust, you know, and we have lots of great plans for, you know, the next couple of years. And we're finally at a place to like really do it. And I'm, and I just, I have, I could talk about this stuff for days because I'm so proud to work with such a great team. You know, I'm, I'm, honored to be on the podcast and to, to meet you and actually spend the time with you because I've sat on the sidelines and watched you do what you're doing, both as a DJ and, uh, you know, running this podcast. And, and I don't get the chance to tell everyone like how impressed I am. And because it's, it, there's never one thing that makes a company work. It's all these little things that you stack up and they may seem more important or less important, but they all matter. Yeah, and it's the sum of those things that start to create the allure of a brand, and the voice of a brand, and like, can I trust this? And and companies are like people, you know. You have you kind of look at them a little skeptically in the beginning. Of course, and you got to get to know them, and you get are these my people? I don't really know what's going on here, and you know, different than beatport, this this industry is a little more like street savvy, and and so I I just felt like. I needed to be a part of this. And, and so I just told Rob right away, like, I'm in, I want to do it. And then he m- introduced me to Quickie and Phenom and Asher. And, you know, they, they, I think were a little overwhelmed. Didn't know really know what to do with me because I'm, I guess I'm kind of a big personality in those moments and <laughs> but it's like I came in with this ambition of like guys we're gonna do it like I, I've i waited 10 years to fix this thing let's go let's go do it right yeah and so everything we've been doing is just one day at a time like getting a little bit better and a little bit better and it's really hard it's really hard because you're like I'm sure you've sat in enough meetings with us. It would only if we could just fix this one thing or if we could make this better or we could do this. And a lot of times the answer is no, you can't because we don't have the resources right now or we're working on something else. And so just figure out another way to get around it. And so the grit and the determination of this team to build a business without all of their resources available um, is what's going to give it the staying power. The community that's built around this thing right now is super durable. The people that love BeatSource really love it. And they're a part of it and they're committed to it. The staff and the team are committed to it. I believe you're committed to it. I'm certainly committed to it. BeatPort's committed to it. And, you know, we're going to make it work. And yeah, so-
2: exactly. No, I truly believe in it. And I try to tell people that and they're like, oh, well, you do the podcast. I'm like, even if I didn't, this would be. I love technology. I love DJing. I love music. I love forward thinking. And to me, this is the epitome of all of that. And it's being executed well. And like you said, e- nothing is perfect right away. So I think a lot of DJs or music people like to take one idea and judge it right away. But yeah. there's, it's just the evolution over the past, like you said, 18 months, even past eight months in itself has been un- unbelievable. And the adaptability, um, to, you know, and, and reactions to what, what yeah. needs to be done, I think is great.
1: So I, I think, think the, yeah. fa- I, well, I think the phase that we're in right now is, so like, just remember when we were talking about the vinyl thing and recording it and doing Final Scratch, yep. you know, when we got Beatport going, we were calling these record labels. I mean, just imagine this, okay? Yeah. It's the craziest thing ever. So we're calling these record labels and we're saying, hey, you know that internet that you fear? Because everyone's stealing your shit. Right. <laughs> Why don't you give it to us? We're going to put it on this website we're building and we're going to sell it and then we're going to pay you. Yeah. And to the entire industry, that sounded like a scam. Right. That's what I
2: was wondering. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> like, that was in some of my list of questions of what kind of. Being so ahead of the game, what kind of pushback did you get from the entire rest of the music industry as a whole? Oh, it because was
1: impossible.
2: Obviously, they fight it. The music industry itself fights it, and then the lawyers will take it to the next level and make it impossible. You know, so yeah. um, I can't imagine what they were thinking. I mean, just the fight alone to stay away from MP3s and then to stay away from streaming in the past few years, you know, time. Well, that so it probably- was
1: on both sides. There was, you know, if you think of it we sit between two communities. We have a supplier community, which owns content. And then we yeah. have a performance community that wants to use that content to do something with it. Yes. And so as a DJ, um, the idea of playing digital content. And at that point it was more CDs than anything else. Like I would burn stuff to CD. Yeah. Um, f- f- it felt like the land of maybe less cool DJs or cheesier things. And if you're like priding yourself on like being a real club DJ, then you played vinyl. Yeah. And there was a social stigma to anything else, like a huge social stigma. Yeah, I know. And we started noticing it like DJs were showing up with, uh, one of these little pioneer, you know, CD players and they would plug it in. and we would be like well what are you doing no well i was in the studio and i wrote this track and i didn't want to listen to it and we're like oh and we just saw that stuff happening more and more and more and that's when the b port kind of concept started to get traction and then um the the real like turning point was when we could solve the fear part so when we really confronted it and we became good marketers of this and we just started outing people because honestly, we knew who was using our website, right. like like freaking Tiesto, and so we called him and we said, "Hey, can we just tell the world that you use Bport?" <laughs> and <laughs> he was like, "Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm okay with that." And so we were like, you know, we had banners, and we were like, Tiesto uses, and it actually the the banner said, "I use Bport," and it was Tiesto, and it was Richie Hot, and it was Bad Boy wow. Bill, it was. Paul Van Dyke, it was, you know, obviously more on the club side and, but that really helped with the social stigma because we kind of had to out people that they were experimenting with digital. And, you know, this, you, you, we got to a tipping point and- Well, that's
2: what gets people into it. I remember once I saw, you know, I did Final Scratch, I tried Torque and all those crazy things. And I even went back to vinyl and then tried to use CDJs and I was trying every different way. And then once I saw A-Track, and Jazzy Jeff doing this Serato thing and using it successfully, that was it. So I think in the same way Beatport with Tiesto and Richie Houghton and Bad Boy Bill, it's like, okay, they're using it, then it's trustworthy. You know, I mean, to be ultimate. fair, it
1: was like what today we would call that an influencer strategy, right? Like True, we didn't yeah. that vocabulary wasn't there then, but that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And so, um, but I, I I'm bringing this up because that's exactly where we are right now. Mm-hmm. So With using Link and these tools, there's a social stigma. Oh, you're going to DJ off your internet connection? Like, I don't trust that. (laughs) Trust me. As
2: the person (laughs) doing the podcast, the amount of direct messages and Twitter things I've gotten into people with, like, trying to explain to them, like, there's a locker system. Also, you're at home this entire year. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? You (laughs) could DJ off your internet. It's loaded up. You're totally fine. Uh, They just, it's the fear it's the fear factor, I think. Oh yeah, you know? but I
1: mean, you you used Serato. How many people came to you and said, "Bro, aren't you worried it's going to crash?" Of course, and it yeah. did
2: crash. You <laughs> of know what I mean? Sometimes, and you dealt with it. And also, aren't you worried your needles are going to skip? Aren't you worried yeah. the the place you're DJing has an Office Depot table with subwoofers <laughs> underneath it? I mean, yeah. like, how many things in life have you dealt with, but you're ignoring it in the fact that you're scared yeah. of this one? Thing that might happen i mean i think that's a really a, a metaphor for life you know what i mean yeah. and i think that's something i've read you say in an interview before that like you can create all these problems and think about them in advance but you know just go ahead and do it you know and then deal with it as it comes because yeah. you're going to worry yourself out of making things happen
1: and so when we launched link we made a mistake uh, and it was before I was helping them with the marketing Okay. and I, and I, and I just regret that I wasn't more involved and it wasn't like, listen, this isn't like everyone felt the product was more mature than it actually was. And so they just launched it as if like, here's a solution and just come use it. Right. And by the way, there was no integrations. There was like, it was a total experiment at that moment. Uh-huh. Now this is 24 months into it. We're. Pushing out nearly a million tracks a week on Link, wow. Across yeah, across Beatport and source. there's twenty thousand subscribers right now. Like wow, that's nuts! By the end say of next million, year, by uh, by the end of next year, there will be seventy thousand subscribers. Amazing! And, and and so there's a quiet community that's growing, and yeah. they're learning. And yeah, have we had some failures as a company? Of course, we've had outages, we've had a few glitches, we've for sure failed in our technology delivery, um, but we're all learning together, and we're right. really—and that's what makes it a community, you know. As you just pointed out, I mean, that's one of the greatest things about this industry is that is that you can just keep going. Like people respect the effort; they yeah. may not be ready for it. So that's different. <laughs> like, I think people are looking at this link and they're like, I see what you're doing and I like it, but it's not quite for me yet, right? But I th- I just believe that as it gets more ingrained and more natural, like I- I've used the Denon, uh, the Denon Dex, uh the SC6000s with the link built right in. Mm-hmm. It's insanely good. Oh my God. I got to try that. I, I mean, been it is. To. it is like... I don't know why you would ever even worry about a thumb drive. It's literally like I go in there, I'm logged in in four seconds. All my playlists are there. I don't need anything. That's unbelievable. I mean, you could tether it to your stupid iPhone and it would be more than enough bandwidth to deliver you some little MP3s. This is the thing is like the same people that tell you they're afraid of this are the people that watch like 18 hours of TikTok thinking, I mean, has, has your phone ever crapped out on your TikTok video? Well, exactly. No. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and the same, even pre all of that, like I remember DJing this crazy high profile party for like one of the most powerful guys, you know, in Hollywood. And and he wanted a song by the Bee Gees. And I had to tether my 3G phone to my computer to try to download it. And the guy was turning red, getting so mad at me that like he wanted it at this second. And it was that yeah. thing where you're watching it download piece by piece. And it's like, chug, chug, chug. And I'm like, please, God, Bee Gees song, like, come down. But <laughs> like, exactly like nowadays with my LTE or 5G coming, all this stuff. I mean, it's insane the stuff that you can do and of course you could think of every problem in the world, but for the most part, it's in it's it's crazy the how good it works. You know what I mean. Um, so you could and be worried it, about this yeah. and that, but you're gonna make I, it work the same way we always have as DJs.
1: Exactly, and you know, it, and we're not in it alone. You know, like SoundCloud is bringing a DJ solution out. Title has theirs, and they're they're all different. Yes. The difference yeah. with Beatport and Beat Source is that we're coming truly from the DJ booth mindset. I always tell my team, and I think it's really critical for everyone to understand this as a company. You know, like you got to know who your customer is and who your customer isn't, or you'll waste a lot of time and money. And so I've always told my team, our business model literally stops at the front of the DJ booth. That's great. Anything that's past the front of that DJ booth, that's not our business.
2: Right, exactly. It's the opinion. Now, there of, might be some yeah. kids
1: that are up there, and you know, I mean, how many sets have you played? And you know, like, four or five of those kids are about to be DJs because they're fucking pumped, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But <laughs> they're like days away from, like, I gotta do this. Of course. But that's different. Like, that's just marketing. You're pulling them in. But if you try to get into that, and that's the mistake B made when the SFX bought them, they tried to be like a festival brand. Yes. And then you lo- lose your weight. And, like you can't be title and a DJ Brown. You can't be SoundCloud trying to do all this and a DJ brand. Like the culture doesn't, it al- doesn't really allow it. So yes, you can get hobby uh, DJs that might just be looking or wedding DJs who need the full catalog. And that's a totally different use case. Like title is great for that corporate community or a wedding DJ because they have everything. Sure. And we're just more specialized and really focused on the dance floor. Uh, We're getting better. Our wedding, our wedding music is getting better and better and better, but we're really driven by the dance floor culture. And I think there's something to be said about really knowing what you're good at and coming back to your superpower. So our superpower should be that we can curate dance music culture of all genres better than anyone on the planet. And we should fear no one because we know what we're good at. And, and that, that ambition and pride of your craft has to come forward. And I, you know, we, we ran into this moment early on in Bport. And I, I listen, I, I've had a lot of bad days as a CEO, without a doubt, areas mm-hmm. that I could just bore you for hours on failures and mistakes that I made, but I've had some good days too. And I truly believe one of my best days was, uh, I forget who it was, but some really high profile dance music person got hired by Apple to go run their dance music for iTunes and right. everyone just assumed that we were going to go out of business. Like, <laughs> oh, like <laughs> that. port was, yeah, 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 yeah. That like, because Apple had such a massive scale that our tiny little business, we, we were early on and we were very vulnerable. Um, and I just came to work with a with a confidence that I will never forget. And I just told my team that. And I truly believe this. I mean, from, from the bottom of my heart, I believe this, that rarely in your life do you get the chance to be the best at something. And, and when you do get the chance, you should take it super serious. And, you know, I was never going to be the best DJ on the planet. I'm a really good DJ. I can hold my own in almost any DJ booths, no matter what, like I still yeah. believe at 51, I can chop it up with, with the best. I can't do what you guys do with the turntablism, but like in a big room, in a big club, I know I can blow the doors off that place. Yeah, every DJ
0: has
2: their superpower as well yeah, in the same way. You know, they have yeah. their strengths and weaknesses.
1: And so I just told my team that that Apple can do whatever they're gonna do. Right. They will never be as good as us. Ever. Yeah, they are exactly. in a meeting right now saying we need to hire this kid because we're getting our ass kicked. That's why they got hired. Yeah. And if you get the chance to be the world's best at something, take it. Yeah. Put it all on the line and truly do what it takes to be the best. And I, and I honestly think that one meeting set us off for success because everyone was so bought into that from their heart because you can't halfway commit to something like that because the second you're not committed, it shows and everyone bought in and, the rest is history, you know. We we really changed the world, and there along the way, we failed a lot, like tremendous amount. I mean, we were hacked. <laughs> we were, oh my god! We had oh, that's a whole other story. Like hackers got it. I, I literally, I'll, I'll tell Did you. they I, get I'll all tell the you. music? <laughs> no, no. I, I'll tell you a true story. I was at the Brad and I owned a nightclub for a dozen years.
2: Right. What, beta? One, yeah.
1: Yeah. And one that's night- That's a legendary,
2: running... legendary club.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's all Brad. Brad is the, that's, that's his superpower. Yeah. His oh, he's
2: amazing. I've, uh, I've hung out with him in Las Vegas many yeah. a time. Uh, his, we were both resident at the Wynn. His C-
1: CEO, chief entertainment officer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he lives it. I mean, he would come yeah. in those space suits, yeah, uh, yeah. manufactured superstars. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were both- I think we were the first resident DJs at the win that they brought from the outside. It was me. Oh, you and you were.
1: Yeah, you were absolutely. And he still, that, that means so much to him um, to be one of the first residents at the win to this day. I mean, it's a big point of pride for him.
2: Well they did it with the suits and then his yeah. partner people would always Sean. come up from Sean would they would come up to me from behind and be like Sean because we both had curly yeah. hair. And yeah. I'd be like and be like, Oh sorry. And I was like, No, I'm <laughs> the I'm the other guy. I'm at Trist there at Access. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, so Yeah, sorry. Um the <sighs> Oh, hell, we, I got, we got No, So, so you guys sorry. owned a,
2: a massive nightclub. You're talking about Oh, being sorry. Hacked. Yeah. No, about we got, yeah. So, so this kid comes
1: world. up to me and he's like, Hey man, you work at people, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I just want you to know I'm in the, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in this hacker group and we download all your guys' music. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and you should know that there's an exploit and you should fix it. Cause it's easy to fix. And I like you guys. And I just want to tell you and like you're hired <laughs> so like i went to bed that night like furious like what the hell you know and i went to work in the morning and i called in the tech team and i said i had the craziest thing i don't think it's true but apparently these kids are saying that they can get into our servers and download the music and sure enough there was a little server that sat on there that didn't have the right security on it. And these kids had figured out how to get in there. And so as content was being delivered, they weren't pulling it from the live site. They were pulling it. So like when a label would put their music up before it was encoded, it sits in a, like a repository. These kids were downloading it. The second it got in there. God, I mean, we're talking like a two two week window.
2: Yeah. But still that's but like,
1: thank God that kid came and told me, uh, who knows how long that exploit would have been open. Yeah. Uh but anyway, it's just like those are the kinds of things you live through when you get into this digital world. You don't you know, I'm not a developer. I don't I don't think in terms of, you know, risk. I think in terms of product building. Like how mm. could we make this better? Yeah. So anyway, when we, get, when we get on the link side of this that transfer of technology into culture and getting people to trust it just takes a long, long time. And especially DJs who can think, as you just said, they can think of all the reasons why it won't work out Mm -hmm. of fear. There's only a couple reasons once they actually see it and use it, that it, 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 it will change your life. Now, the worst part about it right now is trying to use it with our existing tools is pretty cumbersome. Play, building playlists, managing playlists, organizing tracks in playlists. It's not as easy as it was. It would be in Serato or RecordBox or uh, iTunes was to manage that content. And it's because it was new to us. So, you know, if you think of Beatport's business model for its first chapter of its life up until this link thing, mm-hmm. was let me g- sell you some content. Here you go. And I'm out of the game. I don't need to worry about it anymore. It's your, fr- it's your problem. Right. Now, I'm telling you, you can't take the content. I'm just leasing access to you to come use it. Right. And now I have to give you a, a workflow environment to manage all this content that I'm giving you access to. Yeah. Well, that's new to us. Yeah. So giving you content and downloading music we're 17 years into that. We're super good at it.
2: Right. Easy. Figured. I've gone through so many ups and downs that you know all the pitfalls that could be with it. But with Link, it's different. Building Even with, playlists, you know, managing playlists.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're all brand new. So we right. have these and, new-
2: and you're working with other companies, right? Like I know I utilize Link in Serato. Like you said, yeah. you've used it on a den, and There's different ways to do it. I've even figured out my own little hacks over time of, oh, if I click this button on and off, or I do this, this works. And if I want to search for certain songs, I go on the website. If I want to search for other ones, I do it inside of Serato. And even Serato has said, we're going to update our library management and search. And then I'm sure yeah. that will affect you guys. And everything is a big circle of dj
1: life in a way (laughs) no it is and so as that technology improves and our workflow management tools improve the adoption will get super easy and we have mobile mobile apps and dj apps and all this crazy stuff coming out this year that'll help with the playlist management um and it's really going to be a game changer because that workflow of just being inspired and when i talk to the team I tell them, and I think, I think if you have to come from the, from the mind of a DJ. So it's easy to look at our business and say, Oh, I'm in the, I'm in the music industry. And technically I guess you are, but I truly believe that we're in the business of selling like people's dreams to them. And, and I, that sounds a little crazy, but let me just put it in context for myself. When I buy music, And everyone's a little different, but when I'm like pressing that little preview button and I'm listening to it and I'm clicking around on the track, I'm thinking about playing that song. Definitely. And so I'm like, I'm making an emotional connection to that piece of music. Yeah. And like, I'm seeing myself, oh man, this drop is massive. I can't wait to play it. Like, bye. (laughs) Yep, totally. And so um, that business that we're in isn't so much about that song. It's about that emotional connection. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to be good at. Can I yeah. get you the song that you want? Yeah. And when I went to work at Beats by Dre, that's what Jimmy used to say to me all the time. Jonas, what song comes next? It sounds like such a simple question, but it's really hard. Yeah,
0: and you I have know. to
1: be a DJ or you have to be in the industry and you have to know And we would just be anywhere at a mall. And he would be like, listening to a song and be like, what song comes next? He just <laughs> loves saying that. And he'd be like, <laughs> Uh, he's like, you gotta be better at this. Oh my God. Yeah. Talk about pressure. <laughs> anyway, that's that, that emotional connection that you make to that piece of content in that moment really matters. And so the better we can be at that, the, the more we can make that a seamless experience, especially now that you don't even have to download it. You could just be like, I'm in, throw yeah. this in this playlist. I know I'm playing this on Saturday. Like, boom. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: And I think that the fact that DJs make it—I mean, I know you were saying this earlier—but like, I have Title integrated into my Serato. I used that previously; it was cool. But no playlist on Title is made by a DJ, or maybe it is, but it's not made in the 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 same thought process. You said, "Oh, this could be played here. This has this drum break in the beginning, or whatever." The people making the playlists at Beat Source are actual DJs that go yeah. DJ all the time, whether it was in the club before or on a stream right now or whatever they're doing. So it's the playlists are made with such a different thought process. And even I've shared them just on my social media, like going through the indie dance one and people are like, wait, I need that playlist. Those are all the greatest songs, you know, in in And there's only 28 of them or something. You know what I mean? It's not like on Spotify where there's like 146 or something, which is great. And I want to have access to all that. But that's to put on shuffle while I'm cooking dinner. And it's cool if an acoustic guitar is a cool part in the beginning for a while and then has a weird outro. But on BeatSource, I'm going to have the tracks that I could play. And I'm going, boom, I'm putting this in. And I was on my live stream Tuesday night and I was like, yo... We had gotten to a weird, weird part of the stream, but it was the end. I go, I'm just gonna go on Beat Source and I'm gonna pick random playlists and just DJ off this. And it was so cool. And I've seen Mojax, too go, Okay, let's go. I have my liquid DB crate. Let's do this. And he's DJing all off Beat Port Link, I think, or Beat Source Link, and all of that crate. It's, it's just such a new world, you know, but to know that like oh d for d james for example he's so tapped into the Afrobeats world that i used to really research all that music and i still do but now i go to his playlist immediately to see like what are the new things what are the essentials what am i missing you know and and the cool thing is i i just add to my serato right away and then i just preview all of them in there and then decide okay, these are the ones that I want to use for my set, you know, from, from his perspective, it's, it's just unbelievable.
1: I mean, the thing that's changed and it's really important, like as a business, on a business side of this is that you're hyper saturated with content. Yeah. In everywhere you turn, it's, it's just ubiquitous. And so the game isn't necessarily about content. Content is always going to be king. It's always going to be the number one thing that's most important. Right. But then it's about curation. Yeah. When content is ubiquitous and like SoundCloud goes out and says, we got 250 million tracks. Right. Like, right. who cares? Like, exactly.
2: On- <laughs> I don't want that much. That's paralyzing oh. to me. I can't look through that. No.
1: And, and what you learn when you really study these things, what people really want is this small amount of music that they can really relate to. Yeah. And yes, you need a big ocean to get it down to that. So I'm, I'm not saying there's no value there, but the reality is what a customer or what a fan or a, you know, someone on your dance floor wants is they want a very small amount of music curated and performed by you or me and in a way that they can connect with. And, um, when it when it works, it works really well. And so you don't need two hundred and fifty million tracks. What you needed is the forty-two tracks that you played that really mattered. Yeah. And you killed it. Yeah. And that that skill of narrowing all that down is why the DJ exists.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think in music production, that's why there's been this shift from when all of Ableton and everything was released and you're like I need every drum pack every sound pack every plug-in everything and it got to the point where people couldn't even make music because they had too many options and you'd sit there going through kick drums or okay, like, patches do, 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 and do, do, do. now you see these amazing producers and I see it through Twitch that are like what keyboard did you buy? I use this keyboard I'm going to use this for my entire next 10 songs and there, it's it's shifting back to these analog gear things or just having specific plugins you use because you can go to work easier you're not bogged down by all the options and the options are amazing but i think the curation is is very important like you said and also the consistency nowadays because the you're bombarded with everything so if you can prove yourself to be someone that's consistent with putting out podcasts with putting out quality playlists with putting out mixes putting out songs you know whatever it is that you want to be consistent at um you mix the quality curation with the consistency and then not worrying about being perfect. And that's kind of the way forward in this new world of trying to navigate through all the static and all the stuff, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, too much doesn't make anything better. Right. It never has, and it never will. Yeah. And it's really about having the right stuff at the right time. And, you know, when you can figure that out, what that is, then you've got something. And I, when I worked with these guys from Sweden on, uh, uh beats by Dre, mm-hmm. uh, Ola in particular is one of my best friends. And he had this little motto. He's like, there's two types of people in the world. There's taste takers or there's taste makers and there's taste takers. That's good. And, and he's like, and generally what happens is, so like, let's just say that we were at the club and you were DJing and you played this track that I was really vibing on, right? Yeah, You're the yeah. tastemaker. I'm the taste taker. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I need that. <laughs> yes. Then I go DJ and I play that track and it, and it like influences somebody else. And that transfer of taste travels and that's our job as DJs. Yes. Is to perform and share and tell stories through the music and i know it sounds like gushy but that's the job yeah <laughs> and the yeah. guys that do it the best focus on that they're less yeah. glamorous they're not trying to you know uh, do too much they're, they're focused on telling that story with the right tracks in the right way in the right order and that craft is so important to get right. And it's the exact same on the other side. So when we talk about curation, those beat source curators are literally the best curators in the business for this craft because they come from that world. They know what's going to work. They, they will put the music together for you in those playlists and you should trust them. They're really good. (laughs) Right. And it doesn't mean you just go and play it in order. It means there's really good stuff in there. You should pay attention. You should grab five or six of those tracks and put them in your playlist and go to town.
2: Right. That's something I discussed with A-Track because people were sending in questions like, don't you think it's bad for everyone to have the same things or these pre-done playlists? And I think, you know, he had some good points and I have ideas on that too, that like, just like (laughs) you said, you're not... Supposed to follow it like a script, you know what I mean? Like you take from it and input it into your own vision, and then put it back out from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you be the taste taker for a minute, and then become the taste maker, and and put it back out there. The parts of it that you are connecting with.
1: Think about it from a chef' point of view and a recipe. Yes. Let's just say that you played the same playlist as me, just like two chefs making the same recipe. Yes. I guarantee that you would play it different than me. Yes. Just like a chef. Yeah. And so if we, and I agree, if, if we made it exactly the same, if we played it exactly the same, I don't think that's good for anybody. And I agree with that. Yeah. But because the list is the same, doesn't mean the outcome is going to be the same because the recipe is the same. Doesn't mean the final presentation of that dish is going to be the same. Totally. Chefs, and that's who we are. Technically, we combine those things to make something new. And that's our job in the DJ booth. And we need to be good at it, Yeah. no matter what. Totally.
2: That's what I tell people about starting to DJ or starting to stream on Twitch. Like someone hit me, an amazing DJ like a week ago, like, I know I'm so late to the party. I don't know if it's worth it for me to do it. And I'm like, how many pizza places have you gone to? Okay. (laughs) They're all making pizza. But for some reason, you found a new place that you loved. And that person did one little thing different. Each Twitch stream is a new pizza place. If they're all going to be the same one, yes, there's going to be all the ones that have the crappy pizza and they're doing the same thing and they're copying each other, but there's going to be these amazing ones that came up with a new crust or added a new cheese or did something. We all have the same resources, but like, it's just life it's it's always going to be the same thing but you have to put your own spin on it i don't think there's ever too late i mean i watched a scratch video two nights ago on the dj city italy page and the guy's using a mixer i had from 15 years ago that people are like that thing's a, a fucking books book you know like like holding up books now like no one uses that this guy was doing things i've never heard in my life making sounds and he's using vinyl and an old mixer, and it just shows that you're gonna. Co- there's gonna be people that are constantly updating, it, you know. And if you yeah. if you put the work in,
1: um, then but I think people forget it's truly a craft. Yes, it is, and it's a trade. And yeah. you start as a young DJ, and you say, "I want to be good." Well, I mean, I'll just give you from my experience. I practice like every other DJ at home learning how to beat match, uh, and practicing, 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 practicing. Then I got my first opportunities to go play in front of people, and the only thing I knew how to play was the music that I bought. And the music that I bought wasn't actually really good for the time slot that I had, but that's the music that I owned. Right. Especially in the vinyl days. You were pretty stuck. (laughs) Yeah, you're stuck. So I go into this venue, and I'm playing the what I felt was like some of my best music yeah. that I owned. And it really wasn't working because that's all I had. Yeah. And so part of that craft, isn't necessarily about just how good you can put your music together. It's about reading that room, mm-hmm. responding to that crowd, giving them what they want, making them wait for the really good stuff, teasing them a little. And it is a true like seduction of that crowd and the DJs who do it the best play that game and they learn that craft. And I just, there is no shortcut to that skill. You have to practice over and over and over and over and over. And I, you know, there's so many talented people that come up and just like you said about the pizza shop, there's always another way to do this. Yeah. And I used to get frustrated as a young DJ that I couldn't get to the headline slots because all the, all these guys were like, Parked there in their career, right? You know, and mm-hmm. I was just the one down from them. Yeah, I'd be like, "Make room for the new headliner! I'm coming! <laughs> I'm coming in! I got all this music <laughs> for a reason." Yeah, like, come on, give me a <laughs> slot, give me a chance. <laughs> and I, I must have made like fifty thousand mixtapes, you know, like trying yes. to fight my way through. And I just remember when I was Fair. finally getting those chances to headline, and what that felt like. Uh, And it was amazing, you know, like I felt like. It was all worth it. Yeah. 10 minutes before that, I was crying and bitching. And like, then I stood up there at the prime time and handshaking with so much adrenaline. I'm trying to get the needle on the record. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> and here it is. And everything you ever worked for is here. Yeah. And I'm so glad it wasn't easy. I truly, it, it, the, I'm so glad it wasn't easy because I, I don't think I would have respected it the same way
2: totally that preparation you know and the experience the the failing the not having the right music that's what leads to it and and in the same way that a chef has to make some bad meals before they make the good meal or the comedian's gonna bomb a few times before they're good they could be hilarious to their family they could be writing the funniest things on twitter (laughs) until you're in front of the club and the people you bomb or just as a dj you don't know how to deal with those situations so you know same thing i i was making mixtapes i was entering contests i'm like why is no giving me a shot. I know I can do this. I have everything. I'm ready to go. And then I remember getting this winning this contest and Mark Ronson picking my mixtape as the top thing and they're like, "Okay, come to LAX LA at AM's club and you're going to DJ before Mark Ronson at the BPM Magazine party. You have this short set." And I'm like, "Here we go. I've been I've been making these edits and doing all this stuff. And same thing, I remember going up there, everybody's there, AM and Kevin Scott and all these people, I'm shaking, I'm so nervous, I am probably threw up right before, you know? (laughs) And I do my thing that I planned and Mark Ronson's behind me and I'm like trying to make see behind me without looking into his eyes, you know? It's like, and I'm playing all these edits I made and I'm thinking, oh, they probably think I suck. Oh, or maybe this is going good. I don't know, like everything's going crazy. And, you know, I remember him saying like, how do you have all of these custom edits? How do you have time for this? you know, asking me all these questions like, that was amazing. How'd you do? And I'm thinking, I've been in my room waiting for this (laughs) for 10 years. You know what I mean? I have no time for it. That's all I have time for. You know what I mean? And then after sort of becoming more successful on my own and traveling around and not having time to myself, I have the same questions. Like, how do you learn all this? How do you guys make these edits and do these scratches? But yeah, it's it's that... um, that's what I tell people. They were like, "Man, you came out of nowhere!" Like I remember these people approaching me, like, "You got this residency in Hollywood? Like you don't even understand? Like we've been putting in the work." I'm like, "I've been a DJ literally for ten years already. Before this point, you you don't yeah. even know what I went through." <laughs> like, so it's you, you got to go through those experiences. Um, I think as a DJ, and obviously the business
1: things that you've learned um i mean it's totally cliche it's in every movie you've ever seen you'll get your chance kid just hang in there yeah and it feels so unfair and i don't want to wait and i'm so much better than that person and then you realize it's none of that is even matters it's just it evolves and you will get your chance and you need to stay in the fight and you need to continue to improve and it's the same thing with what we're talking about with beat source BeatSource yeah. is exactly, it's that young kid right now. It's practicing. We're doing it. We're getting better. You know, the vibe's building. People are trusting us more. Other people want to see us be successful. The haters are going away. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yes. it's exactly the same. The parallels are literally the same. We just yes. don't see it because we're so close to it. And, and you know, 2021 is going to be a big year. It's going to change everything.
2: Yeah. The people that I've seen even um, start to adapt to it. I've had some big major DJs be like, Hey, you know, can I do a segment on Twitch where I play all beat source songs and they're literally asking, you know, I'm like, sure. I'll ask, I'll introduce you to them. (laughs) I can't believe, you know, and they're all wearing the sweatshirt you're wearing and the hat you're wearing and people that I know that are like vinyl purists even like, and I'll see on their Twitch stream and they're wearing the clothes and like, I'm like, okay, it's creeping in, you know, that they're starting to believe and and they'll ask me questions and I'll show them and, and I'll go, look, like I made this, I took a playlist, you know, off Spotify of all these things I loved. I transferred it over. Then I cut it down to what I did. Even today, like after this, I'm DJing my son's holiday party for his school on Zoom. And we did an earlier party and he somehow, we found out that he's the best MC in the whole world as a seven (laughs) year old, eight year old. He got on the mic and was doing things I've never seen in my life. So now he's my hype man for tonight. But we last night before he went to bed, um, went through the holiday playlists on BeatSource, you know? And obviously, I have playlists I've built up. And this is what I try to explain to people, too. It's not black and white. You're not replacing everything. I have my playlist that I've made for all these holiday parties for the past 15 years in my Serato, but I have all the new BeatSource ones, too, that are high-quality sounds and things I never thought of, reggae, Latin, this, that. So we're going through them. And it was such an amazing bonding experience with him, too, because we were like playing songs he had never heard that I knew about that I forgot to bring up. And he's cracking up like, that's amazing. And then I showed him like, well, this song is in key with that Dua Lipa song that you like. And I have an intro made on here. I'm going to put it under. He goes, that goes together so good. And I'm like, I know this is what I do. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, But it's just so cool. This is what your dad does. This is what your dad does. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's why he's sleeping a little bit late tonight. But but exactly. It's just cool. and, And I was using it in a real life situation and I'm going to use it tonight. And it was so cool to feel that it's not just something that I'm like, Hey, here's this cool idea, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he even knows what it is. He's like, go on the beat and search out the song. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I was like pretty crazy. I'm like, all right, eight year old knows what's
1: up. Yeah. Our kids are the same age. I have an eight year old daughter and, oh, great. Um, and it's the perfect age to start. She, I, her mom just sent me, um, her first TikTok.
2: (laughs) Oh God, that's scary. She's
1: she's in her little gymnastics outfit and she's doing the moves to one of the songs. I forget which one. I love it. But I'm just like, this is happening. This is so cool. It's like music is just such a part of people's lives. And whether it's a TikTok or a dance floor or or anything, it's like it to me it's the magic that's always been in my life has been music. And I and I was fortunate enough to grow up with these wild parents. Um, yeah, like, I wanted to
2: ask you about that Like how did you even get into Being so into raves and, and DJing and being into music From such an early age
1: So my parents split up when I was Less than a year old But they okay. were always friendly So oh, okay. I, never, I never came from like a weirdness It was just like that didn't work for them And so they, they bailed And but this was they, in Denver? No, I was in a small town in Southeastern Colorado oh, okay. I went to high school in Denver though Um, but yeah, I've always been in Colorado. So parents split up, they all, they remarried, but this was like the seventies, you know, I was, I was born in 69. And so the seventies were pretty wild. And, um, and my parents parted like, you know, like I'm, it's different now because people don't necessarily have kids as young, but like, I think when my older sister was born, I think my mom was like 21. That was like normal. Right. right? Like, <laughs> I think now people consider that like, Oh, it's such a devastating moment in your life. You yeah, should like, you're you should, just a kid.
2: You're 25. Just a kid. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: like don't do it yet. But like, then it was about getting your kids out of the way, like have your kids young so you can get back to your life. And true. So my parents were young and they were wild. Um, and so we always had loud music in the house and I got into it and it wasn't that it was like dance music to my dad. It was like James Taylor or Willie Nelson, but it was loud. Yeah. And they loved to get drunk and play guitar along with the thing. And I saw him as an inner, my dad was a super conservative corporate attorney. Oh, wow. And I was not picturing that when you no, said until uh, nighttime and then he would party. Wow! Amazing, and like entertain, and I, and I guess I, I honestly, I guess it sunk into my psyche that you know he controlled the experience of the night by being entertaining and running the music, and and I remember the first time I saw a real DJ. I was in college, um, and I was in a fraternity, and we had hired this DJ, and I had listened to tons of mix shows that were you know these djs were beat matching and i thought that was just the coolest thing and so we hired this dj and i specifically sought him out because he was he actually played on vinyl and he was beat matching wow and it was like salt and pepper and you know like you know those early snap i got the power and (laughs) cc music factory but like if you're good at it and he was good at it he could weave this story and people loved it right and uh, when I was 21, I quit drinking okay. and I did it because my family had quit drinking. Uh, okay. I didn't have some big episode. It wasn't like, you know, I was, uh, went through some like scary moment or not. not, not my family had just both my mother and my father independently of each other decided to quit drinking. They were really worried about me. And I was a 21-year-old in in college. You can imagine what my life was. It was probably four days of partying or five days of partying in a week as normal. Of course, yeah. And plus, I lived in a fraternity house, and it was wild. And uh, I don't know. My dad got inside my head, and I decided to quit drinking. And so I've never gone back. So I I celebrated 30 years of no alcohol this year. That's
2: amazing. Congratulations.
1: Um, Thank you. And so my whole DJ career has been sober.
2: That's but, that, that's an accomplishment in itself,
1: well, but it, it isn't, it isn't because for me, it was just different. That DJ booth was a sanctuary. It allowed me to be in a nightclub and because think when you 're 21 and you don't drink, who are you? You're like an <laughs> alien. <laughs>
0: oh
2: i know trust me i mean yeah i never have been that into drinking and it probably wasn't till my mid-20s late 20s till i was heavy in the bottle service clubs before i did like shots and stuff you know people like come on i'm like i hate the way this tastes i hate the way i feel the next day you know but i guess i want to be in i got to be in the zone you know but yeah
1: it's so i met these yeah i met these guys and they were djs because i needed a shtick you know like I just, I just, I was one thing. And then all of a sudden I wasn't. Yeah. And I, I was always in, in fascinated by DJing. And so I met these guys that were DJs and, it, and I did it by the old fashioned way. I was truly a stalker, like truly. Yeah. I would literally hang on the edge of the DJ booth, like every other stalker kid. <laughs> and I would just watch this guy, a Denver legend. His name's John Chamier. And, um, I would watch him DJ all night. And eventually I would work up, it was like, I would get one foot in the DJ booth, then I would get another, I mean, you're talking like a two month process of like introducing myself. That's how shy I was. And I finally became friends with him and he taught me how to DJ. um, And I got my first gigs and I, and I, listen, I, I will never forget it. My very first gig that was like mind blowing was probably a year into DJing. And we rented an art gallery and we did a rave. Um, But it was like a hundred person rave. Yeah. And it was February in Denver, which means it's like two below at night. (laughs) And there was probably in a, in a hundred person room, there was probably 130 people. It was fucking rammed.
2: Oh my God. And
1: it was so hot in there. And the sweat was truly rolling down the glass. And I will never forget to this day. I've never forget. It It is the most transformational moment in my life because I was, I became in that moment. I became that thing I was searching for. Yes. I knew, and I knew right then that this was it, that I had, that I had arrived and I was going to do this. And I remember I played, you know, the best set I'd ever played as a young DJ. I was probably 22, 23 And, and I walked out of there knowing that everything else was going to change because I rocked it and I knew I rocked it and I, it just transformed me and my swagger and my confidence and my personal brand. And then other people wanted to hear me DJ, dude, you killed it at that party. Like come play my party. And then you know how this goes. It just yeah. starts to build. For and sure. there are little rooms and little rooms. And then it's a bigger room. Then I got residencies. And bef- when I started, nobody was really traveling DJing. Yeah, there was You were a resident and you worked your way up to be a resident. And so yeah.
2: the traveling game didn't really get crazy uh, oversaturated until Serato or until the digital DJing, you know, people were able to fly around with their CD pack or their computer. Yeah. It was just, you had to be seriously in demand if you were going to fly around with for crates of records or something
1: and so we we um i got going in the denver rave scene and then i became a promoter and we were throwing raves and i had a radio show um hilarious i should i should i should send you the show bumpers from it because they're hilarious Um, oh yes that'd be great and what what and, was it
2: on like a independent station or like a real station a, out there it was a
1: real it was a real station it was the mix show they had a friday night commercial show and a saturday night they called it underground yeah and um so i got to play like real house music uh on the biggest fm station in denver that's crazy uh for 3 years so i wow. had this um after hours underground mix show and it, cre- and it just transformed me into, you know, the biggest DJ name in the city. Wow. And, um, and like, but there's no other place to go. Like I was a residency at all the biggest clubs and I, that's right. When B port was getting ready to start. And so it was like, the touring thing was a little bit on the table, but I, I, just so you know, I was also running an ad agency at that time and I was a graphic designer and I, I just, I've always been a business guy first, Right. but the DJing, I just treated it like a business. And so I built a little brand for myself and I did all these things. And like, so I knew how to do that and create some, some, some momentum, but where we netted out was, you know, I, I just could never commit to DJing as my sole like career. Because mm-hmm. I was just, I just was too interested in everything. And so I, but I, but I had such a great career. I mean, I, I, I missed, I, I missed nothing. The only thing I wish I could have done is a festival, I will say that I, my, my whole trajectory changed right before festivals became a thing. Yeah. And I got, and listen, I, I, I toured, I spent two years on the road. I was, I toured with bad boy, Bill, um as his opener and i used to love it because i called it all the benefits with none of the responsibilities. <laughs> so right just,
2: and you get to just chill while he does that head headline I would set
1: get and- up there and i would kill it for an hour while he you know was like showering and then <laughs> he would just show up like five minutes before i was done the whole crowd was going bad boy bill bad boy Bill and I was like alright this is super cool That's and I would, be, I would get into it I would hike the crowd up and then Bill would go on and we were a great combo and right. he's, a,
2: he's such a showman too it's scratching he's one of the yeah. only people to be doing that with that type of music
1: yeah Bill is just like he's one of my best friends so like I just, I just grew with this guy and then Cascade and I were pretty good friends and when he started to tour he asked me to tour with him and so I did the same thing with, with Ryan for, I don't know, probably a year or two. And then when he got the residency at the Marquis in Vegas, yeah, uh, I, was the, I was the opener for Ryan. Oh, so of really? that, of that first year at the marquee i did 11 of the 12 shows
2: uh, i didn't know i remember when he got the residency it was such a big deal i mean i i watched like the rise of all of that being in vegas because i like i said manufactured superstars and i were at the wynn and i remember them we would go to dinner with the head people all the time they'd be like have you heard of this person Calvin Harris or yeah. Afro Jack. They want $25,000, you know? And then all of a sudden, like, Cascade gets signed for, like, tons of money, and, like, everything started to grow, and $25,000 looked like 25 cents after a while with what happened, you know? But um, yeah. And Calvin Harris, obviously became pretty big um, he, he kind of became <laughs> i think a couple people know who he is <laughs> he's got
1: he's got some followers on his my social God. media And the
2: festival thing i mean i remember when tiesto was the headliner of coachella and people were like what's he gonna do that's weird you know yeah. and i remember watching it and being like that's what he's gonna do you know and then calvin harris was the headline it was just such an evolution they're going from those tents to like the main time you know um it, it But that's
1: what, yeah. I mean, having, I don't know. I I live vicariously through Ryan, honestly. So one of my greatest, I mean, honestly, all those nights at the marquee were just mind blowing. Like he would sell out that room. So I had this job of just, there was an opener that played for two hours. Then I played for two hours to build it to him. That's great. And it was, I mean, Still gives me chills to this day thinking of all those sets, and how fun it was to tour and play that room. But the greatest night was actually in San Francisco, um, and we were at a venue. I think it's called the Warfield. I might be remembering that wrong, but it's a larger venue. Uh, it's right. not larger than Marquee. Marquee is huge. It's like seven thousand when it's sold out. Yeah. But it's more of an uh, it's more of a show like where bands would play. So the so the back wall goes up like this.
2: And right, the Warfield used to do and uh, Ruby Sky places like hey, that.
1: Yeah. but Ruby Sky is flat. I played at Ruby Sky a bunch, but this one was this. I, I think if I remember it right, it went up. But Shoreline
2: anyway. Shoreline Amphitheater does that
1: too, but everyone has to sit down. So I was DJing. And the crowd was so hyped. And it's the only time it's ever happened for me that the crowd was louder than the sound system. (laughs) That's amazing. And it was drowning out the monitors. And I thought like something's wrong. And, (laughs) and I was like, and the crowd was so hyped and that, that night. And honestly, that was right when cascade was, it couldn't have really been any bigger. Um, he was i mean it was like you know angel on my shoulder and all his greatest hits it was just the greatest hits dj said every night and the his fans are insane they love him yeah and so just to be the honor of being a part of that and playing this tiny little role of just setting up those rooms every time and it was super fun and um, i guess i'm super lucky because i never had the ego that I really cared that much that I was the opener. Actually, I take a tremendous pride in it. Like, the, I could tell you without a doubt, the best DJ sets of my life were because I went on the road with Bill and Ryan Caskill. Right. Like, without a doubt. And I played major gigs. Um, right. But, but, but I didn't have a crowd like they bring.
2: Yeah. That's a
1: totally different thing. Yeah. And I mean,
2: they had you because that was your superpower in that specific situation. Obviously, you could kill it in a headline set. But like, to be in that kind of situation, you knew exactly what to do in the opener (laughs) spot and enjoyed it and didn't have this jealousy feeling. I mean, it's kind of amazing to be involved in businesses and be able to build these things like you've done, as well as still continue your DJ career. Not a lot of people get to do that. So I think it gives you a a unique perspective.
1: Yeah, and it does. And it's also it's also right to know when it's done, you right. know, like to pass the torch and get out of the way and like, let the next generation come in. and mm-hmm. and that's a really hard feeling. I, I remember when I left beats by Dre, you know, like mental, just changing to the, to the last topic maybe is the, is, you know, COVID has been tough on everyone's mental health. Yes. And I, and I went through it really hard when I left B port and ended up at beats by Dre so, I was super proud of the work we did at bport, mm-hmm. and I stepped out of that, not really knowing what was going to happen within two months. I was moving to l a to to build you know the i didn't know at that time it was going to be Apple Music, but it was the next big thing right, and I got that gig because there's very few people that knew how to build those businesses. It wasn't that you know I'm some amazing person; there's just like a skill set that only a few people had yeah, of course and So I was lucky enough to have met Jimmy and he trusted me and he invited me to go do this and gave me the chance of a lifetime. And, um, the, when I left there, when I got hired in that job, there was, there was two paths. There was a build path and a buy path. And so on the build side, it was a, let's go build this platform on the buy side. It was there's other ones that were around like Spotify at that moment was a green box with a search engine. There was no curation layer. It worked, but you could just go in there and say, you know, I want Depeche mode and then, you know, all Depeche mode would show up, Yeah, but it wasn't curated. It was just like a search. Right. Um, and so we tried to buy Spotify that didn't work. We tried to buy audio. If you, if you remember audio, Um, but that was owned by the founder of Skype and he really didn't care if it worked or didn't work. He just was having fun with it. So we couldn't buy that. And then they ended up buying Mog out of San Francisco and that pretty much ended our build. We were over here on the build team and then they bought something, right? So they didn't need, they didn't need us anymore. Yeah. And, um, and so we got kicked off the project, which was a little heartbreaking. Um, but again, like I said, it was one of the greatest chapters of my life professionally. But leaving that, I didn't really know what to do with my life, honestly. Right. And I had been the biggest DJ in Denver. I had the biggest, one of the biggest jobs in the, in the industry that I love, which is dance music. I was the CEO of Beatport. You know, like it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then I was the CEO of Beats Music. So it's even a bigger deal. And then I was nothing. I wasn't the resident. I didn't have those jobs. That's crazy. And that was a rough moment in my life, like a super rough. And, right. and so like, I really have compassion for the mental health of people as they go through these chapters in their life because this is life. You will be up here, and I promise you, you will be here. <laughs> yeah. And you can get back up there, but you have to have the humility and determination to do it. Right. And, and I can tell you, man, it was really hard on me. It was really, really hard on me.
2: And, was, and, do you think it was hard on you because you had tied so much of your identity towards these things? And then when it was pulled away in the same way that COVID has pulled away people's jobs, which was their identity. Yeah. Uh, it's,
1: very much so. Right. I, you know, I, like when we talk about superpowers and those things, you know, I bring that stuff up a lot because I truly believe in my heart that everyone has something to offer. That's really extraordinary. And when they find it, that's usually their gift. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so my gift was that I could build these businesses. Um, and I knew how to do it. I, I don't know how I knew how to do it, but it was like people like Rain Man that can solve math and, you know, right. or, or well, Goodwill it's like Luke hunting.
2: Skywalker. Like he had to go meet Yoda and he had to go through all that stuff and then be like, wait, yeah. I actually have it inside of me.
1: And so I got through all of that. And for sure, it went to my head. I'm not going to downplay any of that. I was like, for sure, up my own ass in a very <laughs> bad way. <laughs> And then it was gone. Life does that. They said, guess what, bud? Now you're nobody. Yeah. And so it took me two years to finally come to terms with that. Um, and I, I had this very somber experience that I needed to accept that for the first time in my adult life, I was a beginner again and there was some very freeing moment in just accepting that. I don't know how to describe it, but like it I just got inspired. Like okay, so I'm not this big time CEO and and I'm not any I'm not the big resident DJ anymore. I'm none of those things. But I'm not dead. And uh, I'm not incapable. Exactly. So so now what? What am I going to do? And right. so you know, I started tinkering, I became a producer, I've done some, you know, some decent music. Um, But that was just a means to an end to kind of just keep going, you know, like not die, just keep going. And, um, you know, obviously the stuff with beta and everything was great there. And I was helping out. I was a resident again at beta, but that, you know, I, I was getting so old. And I, and listen, there's a lot of older DJs than me. That's not my point it's just for me i was losing the connection with the crowd that i really wanted to feel yeah and it comes with an age gap when it gets too big when those kids could theoretically be my children <laughs> that just felt weird to personally it's not the yeah. same for everyone but for me it felt like what am i doing like like i need to get out of the way and let this next crew um these DJs come up and do have that spot that I was. That I was the young DJ saying, "Get out of the way!" Let yeah, me, you were let me parked play. in
2: the spot for a little bit too long. You felt like
1: yeah. So I moved myself out of the way and I got into different things and doing different things and I have completely rebuilt myself and and I am so much happier. That's and, great. And but it took those experiences of true failure, of arrogance, of ego, of lots of things, losing some of my best friends and, and, you know, rebuilding relationships, rebuilding friendships. It cost me a marriage to, to, you know, my best friend, uh, was my wife. And, and I lost that because I was so lost in, you know, what it meant to be me and thank God I have all that stuff repaired. Like all those friendships are repaired. I have a great, uh, friendship with her now. And we, we raise our child, together like seamlessly yeah but it wasn't easy and it took a lot of humility and and i i just say it because i've seen you know as mental health becomes a bigger part of our lives and social media it gives you this weird contrast of like you think some people are killing it and and they're not and it just but it's really hard to know right so you're just constantly measuring yourself against someone else and i hate when i see these suicides and other or just these really tough depressions. And I know a lot of people are going through it right now, but the, you know, I just, I somehow got to the other side of it as a, as an adult. And I yeah, got yeah. there by just, I, I had to accept that for the first time in a long time, I was going to have to start over. Right.
2: <laughs> There's something to that. I mean, I think like you said, it's something like AM used to always say like starve the ego, feed the soul. And it's something you have to a mantra to repeat because your ego can take control of you in that way. And you can feel it's something I've dealt with this year. alone. Like you said, um, you get tied to this identity or you feel like you're at a certain point. So you shouldn't be doing the lower down things. But once you free yourself of that and you look at Everything as the challenge again, and you, and you tap back into your curiosity, and your, your motivation can come back, uh, I think, in a way.
1: Yeah, and I feel that, and I feel, again, the, my life is filled with gratitude now. And I know that's an, probably an overused word, but I feel super grateful. Um, I feel grateful to, to work with this team at BeSource every single day. Um, I feel grateful for the opportunities that Bport has presented in my life, uh, professionally, and f- and you know, it, it is the fuel that feeds me. It has allowed me to do the rest of the things in my life that I wanted to do, and it all comes back to music. and And it's that connection and that emotional truth that comes through the music, um, and the rest of it was just a byproduct. Yeah, and. Uh, but it all came through the music and I, and uh, as DJs and as entrepreneurs, you know, when we, when you share a truth about something and you understand why you both agree that this is the thing,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: then it gives you, it gives you a community. Now there's two people that share that. Oh, there's a third, you know, and it starts to happen. Right. And that's how these little things are built. And we are, we are all just parts of little pieces of things, you know, like you're a part of your your kid's education and his school community and you bring something to, to that environment. And I bring that to my daughter and, and her life and I bring it to the DJ booth and I bring it to the dance floor and I bring it to the world through the tools that we make. And that feels good to me, you know, in yeah, a very yeah. humble way, being a part of that community and doing this one little thing that makes what they're doing better. I love it. I love the chance. You know like it's like when i met the i I was lucky enough last year at ADE to um meet the guys that invented the cdj oh
2: wow
1: right and they did it because there was a kid that worked at pioneer who was a dj and they were they had the original dj players but the cds were skipping but on the other side of the business there was this car audio team that you remember when their car CD players had the anti-shock yes, uh, and they had memory and they could record. So if it did skip, it would, it had enough memory stored. For sure. That because wouldn't. I wanted to have a subwoofer in my car, but I also wanted to have the CD player. <laughs> right. And so he's like, we need that anti-skip technology in this machine. That's so interesting. I, didn't, I never thought about that. I didn't yeah. know that. So they pulled the car audio trick and they stuck it in those machines wow. and that's how they could keep them from skipping. It was because they knew how to do it in a car. But that's it was because nuts. there was a DJ who worked there that said, I need this in this machine. And away it went. I built a whole franchise around that. And so that's crazy. Wow, meeting those people and, it, and you think that little contribution made my whole life. It truly yeah. did. Without CDJs, without Pioneer putting this equipment in these DJ booths, B-Port doesn't exist.
2: Right? No, it's so true. And well, it's like you said. You said your your part at Apple was so small, and you're not famous, and this and that. But I think all of it is a chain link. And if you would have been, your contribution, I'm sure, was a more pivotal and important thing than than you were making it sound to be. And uh, it's a it's a chain link that has to be solid. You know, if it's pulled on, so if it was a weak link and it's like, ah, oh, that idea you had didn't work. It would, none of it, none of this would be happening in a way. So, you know, I yeah. think you got to look at it like that in a way.
1: The world is just random like that. But I just really remember leaving that, meeting that guy and thinking to myself, like you draw a line from that point where he solves the anti-skip in the DJ booth. Yeah. And look what happened.
2: Right. <sighs> I mean it's like a movie, you can picture it with the montage and then all the
1: things going crazy and then it just blew my mind. Like, here's a kid who just had the nerve and the tenacity to say, no, I need that technology and this thing. And I and trust me, I got this. That's amazing. Techniques That's- owned the market. Yeah. They literally own the market. They even made their own
2: CDJ that, yeah. that sort of yeah. faded out.
1: <laughs> yeah, because they couldn't figure out they put the big feet on it. Do you remember that thing? It uh, yeah. looked like a cockpit. Oh, it looked nuts! It, it, yeah. yeah,
2: and it had the big platter that spun. It was good. It had features that I wanted, but the CDJ beat it. You know, it just by beat, far,
1: just beat it. And it's because they solved something that needed to be solved, and right. you True. know, it just got them in the DJ booth, and then they just got really good. Yeah. That's a great example. You know, it's the beat source and every company joins that same way. We are solving something and we're going to get better and better and better at it. And, you know, it's going to grow because we're in here now. Totally. You know, we're, we're six months away from being in those CDJs permanently. We're really crazy. Yeah. What what
2: else, uh, what else is coming that you can talk about? you said well, a mobile the, mobile app the serato,
1: the serato offline mode is coming yes um the, the locker, locker the system lockers are coming uh we're working on locker sizes to make them bigger for people so they Great. so they feel comfortable you know having as much content as they want we're working on mobile um apps it'll be on beatport first but it'll be on beat source right after that um we'll have um I don't know. We have it's like it's like a handful of launches in in the first half of the year that are all going to be really great, including Tractor. Tractor comes online uh, fully Link integrated in April. Oh, that's huge! And and then then we have Tractor, Serato, Record Box, like the three flagship, uh, that are all fully Link integrated. And then you've got other tools that are coming. Uh, So the hobby brands are done. The mid tier brands are done and now it's really just getting tractor online and then it's getting back into the hardware game and getting native on the CDJs. Um, <clears throat> and the CDJ 3000 was supposed to have wireless router in it, but they just, uh, decided to skip it. It, so the Denon got in there first with a wireless router. Okay. Uh, and, but the, if you tether that CDJ 3000 to a ethernet connection, it can get to the internet. Um, and so we will have link on those devices. Um, you know, I don't know if it'll happen in 2021, but I think it will. Um, and so, you know, the roadmap is, is there and we have great partnerships. Um, and obviously the brands want to be a part of this because it freshens their hardware, it freshens their software. Right. And it makes, it makes it easier to do your job. And, you know, we have all kinds of other stuff coming that is a little more secretive. Um, but it's exciting.
2: Super exciting! Yeah, no, that that's what.
1: What, what should we do? You tell me.
2: <laughs> I mean,
1: what, what would make your life easier? Because that's what I want to work on. Truth, in truth, I'm not being cute. I'm I'm serious. Like, I,
2: well, we- I think the things you said. The mobile app. I use I use apps a lot. You know, so to to be able to transfer quickly to Spotify, while well, then go to my desktop app of it, my phone app, all of that, have it integrated is huge for me. The ability to search um, in Serato for things. Uh, the search function is something that I think uh, oh, yeah. will help well, a lot. Um, my my scouts honor
1: this year, we're fixing search.
2: <laughs> That's something mm-hmm. I tell people that is being, that is fine, but is being worked on and can for sure be better. And, uh, you know, just trying to find um, the right versions of the songs and and being able to um, filter your search. If you're able to search in Serato, and I know this is a Serato thing, you should be able to filter it a little bit better and on BeatSource um, to be able to really hone in on what you want to find, especially if you're doing it real time at a gig. But even if you want to just prep for a gig and you're like, oh, I got to find this,
1: I got to find that. Um, One of the things we've been experimenting with with search, which has already shown huge dividends, is... We made a decision a very long time ago in Bport 1.0 that when you typed in search, it would just search everything. Right, and that's a huge mistake because yeah, there's you know maybe not my name, but let's say your name, Spider. There's probably a label with the name Spider in it. There's certainly thousands of tracks with the name Spider. There's probably several artists with that name in it. Yeah, and it's an impossible search experience. And totally. so what we've done, what we're experimenting with now is m- forcing you as a user to choose what you want to search before you search for it. So I'm looking for an artist. I'm looking for a label. I'm looking... And just that little gimmick brings back such pure uh, search results. And so those are some of the things we're going to change, but we're also implementing better search algorithms. And, you know, we it, this year is all about... F- Investing in the basically the the weakest areas of the business uh, yeah. and search is definitely on the top of our list
2: well, I know that 's something a lot of djs deal with, and music organization being able to drag them in the crates however you like it, or organize them in a in a row where you um, know is like your d j set or something right. you know what I mean like the having the ability to do that within the hardware or the software. Um, is good. Not to, so you don't have
1: to do it on the website only. Yeah. Um, so we'll get there. Uh, Serato is the one, uh, it was, sorry, let me say this again. Serato is the first integration that talks back to the website. So if you change the order of tracks in Serato and then you go back to the website, those tracks are in that order.
2: Right. Um, I love that. It's so yeah,
1: cool. So, so we're, and again, that's, we're getting better. So it's a little yeah. better. Uh, we have other things that are coming that I can't talk about that blow that out of the water. And so I think as a customer, it's just going to be super fun. The stuff that the stuff, honestly, that is a pain in the butt right now, that is the weakest part, hopefully are going to become our strengths. And that's the way in my experience that you, you take your weakness and you make it a strength. And, and when you hyper-focus on it, you can solve even the hardest things. And that's, you know, we're all buckling down to do that.
2: That's great. That's so good to hear. And I know that. I mean, just knowing from the teams, the DJ City team and the BeatSource teams and BeatPort that I've talked to, everyone is, like I said, people are real DJs. They're using this in their real life. They're not just like, this could be a cool idea. You know, like, uh, you meet
1: ma- those people in the industry, right? Like, I remember when I met the Serato guys for the very first time. They were back in the tiny little corner at Nam, and somebody drugged me back there and I was totally. like. I was pretty dismissive because they were coming from a plug-in background. Their big win was the pitch and time plug-in, which I knew about. But I felt like no one needs another DJ software. There's enough of them. Yeah. Because that's you—you you said it yourself. That's when torque was around. That's you know, tractor was new. Final Scratch was still around.
2: Yeah, I um, had almost given up on digital DJing at that point. I was like, I'm just going to get used to these CDJs. None of this stuff will work.
1: Yeah, and so when when Serato came around, I really didn't pay attention to it. Um, and you know, fast forward to where we are today, it's such an incredible platform. It's with really loyal audience base probably the most loyal audience base actually yeah um and and so learning to work with them and to be a part of their story again in a tiny little way we're bringing content into that environment and together we're learning and that you know hey what do you think we should do well what should we do and this back and forth is getting better and better and so it just it takes time to do this stuff and technology sucks cause it takes forever to right. get it right. But when it does get right, it changes things in a yeah. very real way. And yeah. so, you know, that's, that's what we do. You know, we, we're out here to build these, to build the workflow of the future and hopefully we'll get it right. You know, I mean, there's really smart people working on it and For sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, Serato is, you know, they're very involved with the customers and the people. They're more than any other company that I've dealt with through the DJ world over time. Um, they're very responsive, you know, and even OP, uh, OP Miller was on here and he was talking about, yeah, we're redesigning the search function. And, you know, I know that people are at the mercy of each other's companies and what how quickly they work on things. Um, but he, too, was saying, listen, we know... The, the things people want with searching and, and we're working on it and the music organization and the library management. and Because even I just want to be able to search my crates. Like I've been DJing on Serato for over 15 years now and I have crates from 15 years ago. I want to be able to search in put crate search, you know, instead of yeah. having to like go in my Mac finder, find the thing, look where it is, look through the weird coding and find it. You know, that's what I'm doing to find this Christmas playlist I want for tonight, you know? And it's like, I wish I could just type Christmas and it would pop up.
1: I remember um, when we first started working with Native Instruments, and they were they showed us Tractor and how it was going to work. Yeah. Do you know? And I bet I would bet anything that Serato was built the same way. I don't know this for sure, but I do know this about um, <laughs> about Tractor is that yeah. the library database was literally FileMaker Pro. Oh wow! And it was just like an off-the-shelf database <laughs> that they could compile. That's crazy. And, but it was literally like a basic database. Right. Because they didn't know how to do libraries. That wasn't what they did. They did sound design. And so they didn't want to put a bunch of money into it. And like Serato, their end of life on their library is right now they're redoing it. And so I would bet that they used some basic technology that they just, everything else got better but that just kept getting older and older and older. Exactly. That's why
2: people say you need to do this. And then they're like, we're working on it. But I think it's so much harder than they realize.
1: So much harder, so much harder. And and again, you know, huge credit to Serato and all the brands actually, because, because they are, they, they've invited us in Mm -hmm. and, and we're bringing music to their customers um, from the algorithm DJs and the Hercules with their dejuiced brand, all the way up to Record Box, and hopefully into the CDJs and over into tractor and uh, PC DJ and all the you know, uh, they're all all those mid tier and and all the brands are alive now. Yeah. And when I look at that report and I'm and I look at it, and I'm like, wow, there was seventy five thousand tracks played last week in PC DJ. <laughs> that just blows my mind. You know, like. I don't even know anybody that uses PC DJ, but I know they have a huge community. I just don't know. I mean, I don't know anybody. Same,
2: same thing. But I tell my, my friend yesterday, he goes, my eight-year-old wants uh turntables. I don't know what the hell to do, you know? How do yeah. I even get what you have and then buy the records? And he, you know, because we were college roommates. I'm like, you're not gonna buy him the records, dude. <laughs> I'm like, this is website, I do this podcast or beat source. I go, check this out. You know what I mean? You're gonna get a little controller, you're gonna get an iPad at this point app and just get him into it. See if he likes it, you know. Yeah. You don't need to spend all the money. But yeah, like there's people doing things that we don't know about but you can see it in the numbers and the data well, which i is love what
1: i love this isotope um technology that they can't that they've licensed into the dj software where they're isolating the it's crazy the acapella and then the drums and the melody oh my
2: god i've seen djs like this guy dj yoda in the uk He does, he's an amazing all-around dj but he's an amazing video dj and he's taken that and he puts these things online now where he's doing the craziest, stupidest, most ridiculous mixes that are working and taking the stem from this or the acapella from this. And I'm like, how the hell? You know, it's that's mind-blowing. I mean, what what do you think? That's what I was going to ask. Like, Well, I guess on two levels. But how do you think things like Link and uh, The Way, streaming and everything, how do you think it's going to affect the music industry going forward? Um, especially the DJ part of it, you know, um, uh, people maybe not having to buy the music.
1: Yeah. So I think <sighs> if you really are honest about buying the music, yes, right. It's a disaster. I've, uh, so my purchase history on B port alone, just beport. port. Yeah. Since day one, and granted, I've been there since day one, so that's f- longer than most customers. Right. But right. I have over eleven thousand tracks that I've purchased. I've downloaded every single one of them. Do I know where all eleven thousand of those tracks are? I don't have a clue. Yeah. Like okay. they've been on fourteen different hard drives and different computers over those 17 years, and I don't have that library anywhere. Yeah, but true. I know where every single track in my link playlist are. Yeah, you're right. And so the convenience and opportunity that it gives me to just minimize that one piece of burden on library management and get better at it Mm -hmm. is a big deal to me. And once I get comfortable and with my own setups of like moving stuff offline or doing that, I don't think it's going to bother me at all. Yeah, You know, everything has been, I'm like you right now. I mean, I DJ, if I'm DJ and I'm playing at home, like I don't have any place to go DJ. So, um, that the simplicity of that is fine. I don't need any offline mode, you know, but if I was going to go play at a club, um, like I play in tractor, that's what I DJ with. So for me, I would use tractor and I would move all that, all the playlists that I want to play offline.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't think I would even think twice about it. That's what I'm doing anyway. Yeah. It's technically just sitting on the hard drive. It's the exact same thing. I think we use this vocabulary that scares people like offline mode. Sounds like if I just said, Oh, it's all downloaded to your drive. People will be like, cool. When I call it offline mode, it's somehow it's like terrifying. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> right. I'm like, I can't touch it. You're like,
2: well, you couldn't touch it anyway. But yeah. I know. That's it. Well, that was the beginnings of Spotify. I would always try to explain to them, like, when you push this, you can listen to it on an airplane and you have the songs in yeah. your phone. And they'd be like, I don't know. No, that's cr- no, I don't I'm not gonna do that. That's stupid. And you're like, no, no, it's like, I'm trying to explain it to you. You don't have to buy the MP3
1: or download the, you know. Yeah, well, it's, uh, people it's would confusing. tell you, no, I, I buy my music. I like to own my music. And I was like, you don't own anything. What you did is you paid for the luxury to download a copy of it. <laughs> right. Your license is to use. Yeah. And,
2: and then it's, it's interesting for the, the other side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. because Go now
1: ahead. it's on, well, it's on your laptop, but you wanted to listen to it on your phone so you don't have it. And now you got to download it again over on your phone. So now you're storing it twice and it gets worse and worse and worse, or you get a Spotify account and you just own your playlists. Right. And all of a sudden your mind changes like, Oh, like the idea of leasing access to content is a really fearful kind of thing. But once you adapt, then I, I don't even think twice about it. My Spotify, I love it. Like my playlist, I've worked so hard to make them good. And, and that's what I own. I own that curation layer. Yeah. I take a huge pride in that. I I own that music. No, but I don't need to own it because I have access to it. Why do I need to own it? Right. I own the curation and I think people need to put more value in that. Yeah. You own your curation. You don't need to own the track. I mean, listen, as DJs, I have a vinyl collection just, like you and I take a lot of pride in that. But do I miss hauling that stuff around? Not even 1%. No, like, even when my house,
2: I'm like, yo, I'm going to play vinyl sets and dip in, And i have never do it <laughs> like i keep going i'm like i'm using beat source link now instead you know like yeah. that's more fun for me to even figure out but yeah and then i wonder like what about the other side of how there's this backlash against some of the artists like oh i don't get paid off spotify or this and that do you think there'll be a point where enough djs are using things like link where the artists are getting paid from D? De- like you said so many people on pc dj we don't even know who they are playing these tracks will the artists start making money off the DJing being bigger and being a streaming thing? I wonder, will that even have a dent in that? I wonder at all. I mean,
1: listen, I think we'll always be tiny compared to Spotify. I mean, Spotify has 250 million subscribers and then Apple music has another 200 million, like, you know, right. But you're not
2: trying to be that, like you said earlier.
1: We're a specialty retailer and but we pay out on average about 10 times the rate that those platforms do. Right. So the per stream pl- pay- the per stream payout is much more lucrative for the artist in these environments and it should be. Right. Um, which which
2: can develop this cool relationship with, like that used to exist with artists and DJs and promoter m- music promoters and DJs where yeah we could actually be helping and not looked at as like pirates on the internet, you know, in a way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. So I think again, we're all learning yeah. and it's going to get better. Yeah. I think, I think the hardest thing for people to get their head around. And it, it, even for me, I, it, it wasn't until I was at beast by Dre that it, that it clicked for me that, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and it was only because I was sitting at that moment in the walls of universal and interscope and, I saw the death on the faces of the longtime industry guys that had been there. And right. then the young guns were coming in. These kids were, you know, straight out of business school and they were like, it's all about streaming. And the old guys are like, you know, we got to sell records and CDs. <laughs> right. And, and it was like, the, there was, there was chaos in those yes. walls. Right. And it was really a hard time in the music industry. Well, that's mostly done. And what changed is it inverted itself. Yeah. So if I was a band, so let's use the BC boys. I put my album out licensed to ill. I make $200 million on that album. Right. I don't even need to tour. Yeah. That's why they never did. Like they played, you know, 40 shows a year, maybe. Yeah. That might be a lot actually. Yeah. Why would, why would they? Of course. Because they, because they take a thing that costs 15 cents to make a CD or a record and they sell it for 20 bucks. There's so much money in that model right. because basically record companies were manufacturers and most people never caught, they never understood that. Right. Basically all they are is manufacturing a physical product and selling it at a massive margin.
2: Right. And it was a business. Everyone's so mad at like, you get an advance and you get this. I mean, it's like they're making t-shirts at this, basically,
1: you know, they're making a a product. So now it's inverted. Mm -hmm. If you want to make your money, you got to tour. Right. So you don't hear any of the touring artists really complaining. They're going to play 200 shows a year. They're going to make their 200 million. (laughs) Right.
2: Which is why I think this year was such a crazy turning point for people
1: because they realized... Okay, yeah. if I, you know, like we have to, I can't uh, rely on Spotify. But then, if you're like, if you play the game right, let's say you are the Drakes of the world, or you're you're just a producer that has access to a lot of content. Calvin Harris is another one. I mean, I mean, yes. his the royalties off his production is probably way more than his uh, tour and his touring f- as a DJ. And um, so, if you if you learn how to be a producer and start collecting publishing checks and royalties, it can really offset. Um, any of that stuff, and so that's just a—it's just a mindset game. So I, I, right. I always, when I hear people complaining, especially on social media, I always jump into those feeds and kind of educate them. Yeah, like it's not that hard. Yeah, um, it seems right. impossible because you're like I'm looking at you know point zero zero two four per stream, and you know I made thirty two dollars, and I and I always tell them write a hit.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, it's built for that. And then on the other hand, for people that aren't necessarily trying to be a mainstream hit or something like that, I guess would be the playing devil's advocate, someone that might reply, well, I don't want to write a hit or something. But I think this year has taught people the value of physical things as well, Uh, being able to utilize the streaming to be your calling card and be your, your thing that spreads your name out. But having the ability to sell physical things or have your vinyl available, or have merch available, or even how this crazy new world, I don't know what this is going to turn into, but in the cryptocurrency world, this NFT thing where they're selling art and music together in the crypto world. And I, I don't know, that could be something next year. That's like a, could be. a way for people to make, I've seen artists like RAC and stuff making, making money in this, this weird digital other way, you know, it's, it's just crazy. There, there's always going to be something and it's always evolving. So, and
1: it's great. I love what splice yeah. has done for pop music producers oh, it's crazy. to give them the tools. I love what Loopmasters has done for dance music producers to give them access to the best content. Yeah. I love what, you know, SoundCloud did to give them a platform to share uh what i work so hard on and i love what youtube's done to create a tutorial culture where i can learn almost anything Anything we just live in this extraordinary time where where all those uh, access related issues that were keeping people out of the chance to have success are gone
2: yeah Yeah, exactly. I went to YouTube University this summer to learn how to live broadcast and do all this stuff. You know, I'm just clicking things. I find people that I trust. And
1: I go on YouTube all the time. Like, I'm in the studio and I'm trying to make like some chord or some pluck sound, and I don't know how to do it. And there's, of course, some 14 year old kid who's like a master. I know. And he's like, all right, you put this knob to here and that one there. You introduce this saturation, you put these chords in, and here it is. And you're like, it's exactly what I wanted, actually. Yeah. And it's amazing. And in the same way that, like,
2: then that kid that I'm following, for example, one of them put, said, hey, I made a, a sample pack. It's $12 on my Bandcamp. It would mean a lot if you guys support me. Boom. Of course, I'm going to buy that, you know. And hopefully everybody does or subscribe to his Patreon or go on his Twitch and buy subscriptions. And there's, you know, there's so much stuff going on. I mean, I see Beatport has gone so heavy into the Twitch world. And I know BeatSource
1: yeah. is going in there. Um, that that. Twitch, one of the greatest things that came out of um, 2020 for Beatport was Twitch. You know, we had no Twitch strategy going into 2020,
2: none. I barely knew what it was. I mean, but now this is the way I can support other DJs and see, okay, I'm going to sub to their Twitch. I'm going to send them bits or whatever works. And then I'm yeah. going to try to buy their stuff. And then, and I've become friends with people and I've created, I've learned about this global network that's getting stronger through it. Um so, yeah, I'm excited. I hope that I saw someone say something like, I hope Apple buys Twitch. And it was like you said, like, I don't know if that's the greatest thing, actually. <laughs> it's it's pretty good the way it's going right now. And I feel yeah. like it could get better if they just keep listening to the people on it and hopefully work out some of the DMCA things. It's lawyers always fucking everything up, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think the copyright industry is just... It's, o- old, it's old, old and yeah. it's not really built on digital it's to believe it or not it's still very much a paper industry right and they're getting better um of course but it's you know they're like a quasi federal agency you know yeah. they're, they're huge they're collecting copyright around the world right and it's very hard yeah to keep up and right. they right. so if even if Twitch wanted to go get licenses like legitimately said I'm ready to license this entire platform, it yeah. will take them probably three to five years to do it.
2: <laughs> right. And the
1: oh, even oh, with oh. as much money as Twitch has, because that's not how that industry works. They work very slow, very methodical. They intentionally slow it down because it's negotiating power that they have. Yes. And, and, you know, once you get deep in this industry and you're, and you run into that publishing mafia for the first time, you realize that you didn't know anything about the music industry, actually. Until you understand publishing, you really don't understand the music industry.
2: And Yeah, people don't understand what Beatport and BeatSource uh, have had to go through to even be able to do what they're doing now and to be able to get those licenses. And I see those comments all the time. Jeff Bezos,
1: can't he just pay for it? You know, like, uh... Maybe, yeah, he, but I don't think it would, works
2: like that. You but know?
1: but there, that's not how it's going to work. Right. The bigger issue is that they've, there's a container that they call black box revenue. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you've got all, prior to digital technology, Yeah, there was the billboard acts collected like an 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. 80% of that revenue went to them and the 20% just was kind of like, well, we don't know where to put it. (laughs) And so they created this thing called black box revenue, which was just pro rata distribution to the people that they thought earned it. So if you played a cool beastie boy track before they were famous, but it played everywhere, Madonna probably got that royalty (laughs) because they didn't know where to put it. And crazy. Yeah. And so they called it black, literally they called it black box revenue. And it's obviously modernized since then, but it's a very weird thing. It's like right now you pay an ASCAP. Think about it. Every restaurant who who play, is playing music is playing an ASCAP royalty. Right. I know. That's what I tell people. And they're so, like, no
2: way. I'm like, yes,
1: for but, sure. But what songs are they playing in that restaurant? And what, where's that royalty being distributed to? Exactly. They don't know. I've made have,
2: playlists for restaurants and I've had the same thought. Like, I don't think these people are getting paid. I'm making the most underground cool playlist for yeah, their so Madonna
1: and Elton John and Fleetwood Mac. They're the ones that are getting paid for your work because the system is so archaic. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm saying it's that big of a mountain to fix. Yes. It's really, really hard. And it's, and, and so the money flows to the of least resistance. And it's not that they don't care about the smaller artists. It's just like they might be on small publishers and like finding that route from the ASCAP to some Belgian producer that's 17, you know, it's not a straight line.
2: (laughs) That's crazy. That's so interesting. I mean, we could talk about that, I feel like, for 10 hours.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and we'll come out scratching our heads wondering like there's got to be a better way and there will be. And it could be as simple as what they're doing with blockchain and cryptocurrency tracking and yeah, stuff like yeah. that and but until then it's very archaic and it's hard so right. you know it'll get better but it's just not there yet
2: that's crazy very interesting well um i mean we've covered a lot of stuff i feel like we could talk forever about uh everything but um we, uh, I got to start preparing for this holiday Zoom party. I know. But, uh, <laughs> before we get out of here, um, I just wanted to know, well, I guess if there's anything, you've told us so much, if there's anything else you want to talk about, or if you just have any last thoughts for uh, the listeners or people that maybe want to follow in your path, starting a company, going from a DJ like that and stuff like that.
1: I've said it a lot on this. I really believe that people have superpowers. Yeah, and I think they're afraid to use them. Um, yes, yeah.
2: People can and, have be insecure, right, or have the yeah. imposter syndrome.
1: And so, like, you'll meet someone who you think you know them because they're good at something, but what you find out once you really get to know them is that they're like amazing at something else. But they're they don't have the confidence to go do that. And so, for me, the true gift that I've been given in my life was that I, I had this superpower to, for some reason, feel confident enough to go start these companies and take the risk. And, you know, and I, and I credit my family because my family was, even though my dad was an attorney, he was very entrepreneurial. My mom was very entrepreneurial. I come from a farming family. If you know anything about farming, it's the ultimate entrepreneur journey. Cause you start over every year. Right. You might own your land, but like you harvest it. And now next year, I got to start over. So yeah. I'm doing a new business every year. That's and, so
2: interesting. I've been learning. And, my sister just bought a farm in this pandemic and has started <coughs> a farm and is growing. And I, every time I go there, I see it and see the evolution, but also learn about their long term plans and, yeah, and so how farming it is, it's is a, so interesting.
1: So, so interesting. But it, but it is entrepreneurial. And so I was just grown, I was raised around entrepreneurs in various ways. And I just think uh, in a certain way, my, my future was predecided by yeah. my environment. And so I'm very grateful that I had the, the courage to, to be good at a, a couple things and to follow my heart and chase my, you know, my quote unquote superpower. Yeah. And, and so that's the advice I would give people is that, you know, you're good at something. Like whether you whether anybody else knows about it or not is indifferent. You know you're good at something. Everybody is good at something. Yeah. And the people that I've met in my life that are the most successful and I'm not talking financially. I'm just saying success in terms of like I love what I do. Yeah. <laughs> when they follow their heart and they did the thing that they were the best at, and that's what I. T- I mean it. Money. It's a secondary mission. When you chase the money, you're miserable. If you chase your passion, the money always shows up. Ask anybody who's, who's made it. And when they chase the money, they're miserable because you're never happy. When you chase the craft, whatever it is that you're doing, the money just arrives. You know, it's just, it works that way. If you're a tattoo artist and you're really good, you're going to get booked out. If you're a hairstylist and you're really good, you're going to get booked out. The money yeah. will show up. Just do your craft.
2: It's such an important lesson. And it sounds almost like common sense, but it's not. It's something you have to no. constantly practice and Because and your
1: parents tell you, you, uh, you know, I, I could go on and on on this. I think college is a freaking joke. And as a parent, it, I'm, I'm on a double standard here and I know it. But <laughs> I believe that it's a business first and foremost. And they convinced you out of guilt that you need to spend $40,000 to, to learn how to, And what did I learn in college? Well, it wasn't until I was a junior in college that I changed my major and I got into graphic design and I, yeah, I learned my graphic design skill, but I could have learned that in a two year school. What I right. learned in college was mostly life skills of like socializing and yeah being on my own. And so I know that those are important things and I'm not downplaying it, but like I probably didn't need to go to university to do that. And so I think as the world's changing and and the barriers to entries get down and the global intelligence gets smarter every year because it's inevitable, you're you're carrying a smartphone, like it's educating you. So the global intelligence is raising, the skill sets of the world are raising, uh, the best people are getting good at their craft at younger ages. And it's all going to have a positive impact. And so, where's your place in that? And the place is just where it, where it feels and happens the most naturally. And for me, it felt good to be in the DJ booth. So, I did good there. Yeah. And I studied the people that were really good. And I did that. I understood how to write code at a very young age. I'm not really a developer, but I, I learned how to write code. And so, I knew how to make things. I knew how to be a graph designer. I'm not the world's best graph designer, but I'm pretty good. And, uh, I knew that if all else failed in my life, I could have a career as a graph designer and, right. you know, and, and it just builds on itself. And then pretty soon, now I'm combining DJing and graph design. So I'm doing two things. And then I take that computer skill and we build a website called Beatport. And now I've added that third thing. Yeah. And it, you know, I have a little portfolio of things that are working for me, and it's been really fun.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and I think that that, that a big lesson in that is, um, you know, listen to your inside voice, listen to the superpower, the thing you think that might be your thing, and you know, if you have a little bit of lack of confidence or you're scared, that might be something telling you to lean into it and tap into it. You know, it's just, you got to burst through that, that lack of confidence or, and just worrying about what everyone else is going to think. And I know it's even harder nowadays on social media because everyone's comparing and everybody looks so much better than you. But, um, like you said, you know, inside There's something that turns you on that makes you feel good that you're good at or that you feel like you could be good at. And it's just a matter of tapping into it, leaning into it and working on it and following the journey and and focusing on the craft and not worrying so much about the commercial expectations or what's going to come or this could be a business type of thing. I think that is a big pitfall Um, and something that's hard because nowadays everybody's like entrepreneur, turn your passion into this and social media, but... You have to come at it from the, the, the children curiosity standpoint, just doing it for fun. The things you just did when you were 10 years old for no reason type things because that's what's going to lead to. Cool
1: I, had a, yeah, I had a great mentor and he was really hardcore. Really? Really, really hardcore. And he would tell me, I always had an idea, right? And he had this response to every one of my ideas. Jonas, why would anyone care about that? (laughs) And then he would tell me, if you can't answer that, you don't have an idea. And so when you, when you literally say, why would anyone care and you don't have an answer, then you probably don't have anything.
2: Right. That's true.
1: And so I say that a lot to our little teams that we work together with. Why would anyone care? Like, Oh, you want to build BeatSource? Why would anyone care? Yeah. Well, they they would care because this technology is changing. The 5G band is coming online. Access to broadband is going to be ubiquitous to your to your phone. There's a better way to access content and organize it and make your life actually easier. It's yeah. not going to be easy to get there, but we can get there. And once we're there and we're embedded, then everyone's going to care because we just made everything better. Yeah. And if you're not willing to go from nothing to something and suck for a while, because right now it's fair, we could, like, it's not perfect yet, right? But you just know where you're at on that journey and you have to keep going. And so that why would anyone care is super important as contrast to your ambition. So challenge yourself, answer those hard questions. And then if you think you have the answer, then just believe in it and go for it.
2: Yeah. And don't worry about being perfect or failing because you can always get back up and you are 100%
1: going to fail. If you're trying something new, you're going to (laughs) fail. Right. (laughs) I mean, just anybody, it's like, you know, a gymnast, they'll go out there and tumble in the Olympics and you'll see them wobble. And you're like, Oh, how could you do that? And you're like, okay, that's probably the 13,000th time they did it. And that's the best they ever did it exactly yeah (laughs) 12,999 times before like it was a disaster and you just don't see that you
2: know no it's like the well tony hawk we were talking about earlier how many times do you think he fell down how many times did he try to do that insane trick i've watched him on instagram this year oh i don't know if i can do this crazy ramp to this thing and then he did it and that's this year you know i mean that's insane and he's tony hawk okay so um yeah that's that's amazing Well, yo, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I mean, this was so much fun. I learned so much. I feel a million times more confident uh, (laughs) just from your stories. I feel like smarter and uh, more inspired. And, um, you know, I feel like I got to know you a lot better, too, which is just huge. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciated the time. I know we went over a little but. So I mean there's edit. no over to it.
2: podcast. No, we don't I don't think there's anything to edit out. There was so much <laughs> good stuff. You know, we got I mean, the one that we just put out uh yesterday was with Z Trip. That was I think a little bit over three hours. <laughs> so But he's uh, a legend,
1: right? Exactly.
2: Know. But uh, I think you are too in your own right. So this Thank is you. uh I think people will get a lot out of this. you know, we're we're yes, we're in the two and a half hour mode, but Um, that's what podcasts are for. People have a fast-forward button if they want. Um, (laughs) I saw somebody on the Puffy one, like, this host won't shut up, just put Puffy on. I'm like, just fast forward past it, okay? I'm telling you about Beat Source. leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's why we're here, buddy. That's why we're here.
2: Yeah, uh, but yo, so yeah, thank you for, you know, letting me uh, do this podcast and being part of this amazing team and company. I'm, I'm honored to be part of it and uh, to be able to work with you and stuff. So yeah, thanks for everything.
1: No, thank you, I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, all right, we will, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay, enjoy Thanks. Bye.
2: Wow. All right. We just came to the end of the final episode of 2020 on the 20 podcast. A lot of 20s going on right there. Massive thank you to Jonas Temple for coming on this show and blessing us with all that knowledge um, and really for having the concept to do this and and bringing me in to do this. I mean, I, I'm eternally grateful to him and BeatSource and everybody. So thank you. Uh, my beat sorcerers thank you guys for rocking with me I love you I cannot wait to see you in 2021 or hear you or just you hear me whatever it is thank you guys Uh, let's keep building this podcast hit me with all the questions and topics like you have been let me know some people that you want to get involved and have on this podcast and and anything like that and um like i said before uh in any way i can help you but like i said before keep in touch at dj spider dj spider on instagram you can dm me or on twitch twitch.tv slash dj spider that is what we got going on right now and uh i will see you guys in the new year have a happy new year
0: Peace
1: And that was The 20 with DJ Spider